Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is, what day is it? It's Monday. Feels like Monday. It's June 12th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. I have no theme. I have no guests. It's all about what you want to talk about. I have a ton of news. I did get up early this morning and decided to read some news. I've been avoiding it lately, so I've got... uh, Several things I could talk about while we're waiting for some phone calls. Go ahead and jump in now, 855-950-3835. We'll get to your calls here in just a little bit. Uh, Not a lot going on this week. Fairly normal schedule. I'm not going to change anything this week. Should be pretty identical to last week. One uh, guest this week, uh, David Owen from Nastic will be joining me again. Uh, David and I have been talking about several projects to work on together. I'm excited about that partnership. David's been off goofing around for a couple weeks on vacation. He's back this week. So we're going to get back at some projects as far as that goes. Uh, something real quick. I listened to... Um, where I read a lot of Seth Godin. I've read all of his books and he's got a lot of books. I've been reading Seth for a couple decades now. I don't talk about him a lot or recommend his books. Every once in a while I will, mostly because he really deals with marketing. And and we don't do a lot of marketing and trucking, but he's he writes every day. He writes a paragraph usually. There's always some little nuggets of wisdom in there. Today's paragraph was really fitting for what we're dealing with in this industry. And I'm going to stick to owner operators and small fleets, but this is really good business advice for anybody. So here's the title, Too Much Competition. Now, we talk about this all the time. Rates are supply and demand, not brokers ripping people off, not big carriers controlling the rates. None of those things are even possible in the trucking industry. There's too many players for any kind of collusion or price fixing. That just, it just doesn't happen. When rates drop the way they're dropping now, it's really simple. It's supply and demand. Too many trucks, not enough freight. Too many trucks, trailers, and drivers. That, that's what it takes to move freight and not enough freight to move. That's too much competition. We're in that cycle right now. Too much competition. There is such a thing. Free markets fix it on its own. The bottom third, I believe, will drop out of the industry here probably within the next six months. And then things will start to balance and adjust and rates will start to come up slowly again. Now, that's if we're in a normal economy. After reading headlines this morning, I'm a little shocked at where we are in the world right now. Are we really going to start um, evacuating people out of Taiwan? And if so, that means China must be thinking about invading. And are we going to get sucked into another war? (sighs) I should just stay away from the news. I just I needed some headlines, some things to talk about this morning. Uh, Trump will be arraigned tomorrow that is looking like that could be a major event. He is, in some of the polls now I'm seeing, he is polling at 60%, way, way above everybody else, mostly because of what the government's trying to do to him. Just a lot of stuff in the world right now that makes our economy really hard to predict. But we should focus on what we can control. And that's what this short little paragraph was all about, but it's such a nugget of wisdom. Too much competition. 
And when there's too much competition, there are two approaches. Here they are. Number one, broaden your offerings. Make them easier, cheaper, and more available. Dumb them down and race to the bottom. So what that means is you really, again, I'm going to apply this to owner operators and small fleets. You probably have not built any kind of relationships if you're really feeling the pinch right now. Rates are down, there's no doubt about it. Costs are up, that's a problem. And there just seems to be way too many trucks and not enough freight. So are you going to say, you know, I never used to go to New York City, but I'm gonna go to New York City. Uh, We all know those people that said, I'll never pull for less than X per mile, whatever their number is. Are they going to do that now? Will they end up giving in and saying, well, you know, I either have to pull this freight or I go out of business. Will they start looking for new segments and new freight? And will they spend more time on the load boards? That's that's the first offer or the first approach. Broaden your offerings, do more, make them easier, cheaper, and more available, dumb them down and race to the bottom. And that's what most people will do in response to what's happening right now. Or, or here's the approach I really prefer. Focus on the customers who care enough about your idiosyncratic and particular offerings that they not only happily walk away from the lesser alternatives, but they'll tell others. Now, That's not easy to do in trucking, but it's possible. We have lots of people that have done exactly that and they're very successful at it. So you have a choice to make when we're in an economy like this. The last 10 years really in trucking, uh, it was very, very easy to pay the bills and succeed and at least stay in business. If you had a decent plan and you put in the hard work, you've probably been very successful. By far the most successful decade I've seen in trucking was the last 10 years. The last three have been fantastic. Not anymore. 2023 things changed. And now you have to adjust to that change. So you can either kind of get desperate and start doing things you said you wouldn't do. Or you can do what we've been talking about for years. Focus on customers who value what you offer. It's why I get so crazy in this industry. We don't talk about customers. There are several groups right now pushing hard for the broker transparency bill. I'm sorry, but if you move freight on the spot market and you're using brokers to do it, they are your customers. And why would you want to join efforts to regulate your customers more? There's already regulations about broker transparency. They're never enforced. So the, well, the groups all say, well, then we're going to write laws that will, will be enforced. No, they won't. And if they are, in my opinion, every time I've studied this, the more transparent rates are, the faster it becomes a race to the bottom. Look at things like U-SHIP. Everybody can see the prices. That's total transparency. And look what it does. It drive, pr- drives prices to the bottom. If I don't know what somebody's hauling a load for, I'm just not sure. And I want to take that load. Well, it's hard to negotiate that. How, what should I 
go in with? What if I, what if my offer is already way lower than what they're calling for? What if it's way too high or I'm just going to be ignored? But if you can see the price, then you know exactly how much to go under that price with your bid. Then the next person comes along and they can see the price and they know exactly how much to go under. Transparency in pricing is the race to the bottom and it's for the weak. The people who can't figure out how to build relationships and exist in a down market. That's when they start screaming they want everybody else regulated. I just don't, I, I'm, I, I, one of the people I've, I've been kind of debating this with, and, and it's been a good, healthy debate, but uh, actually said they would like to see the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. Um, they want to go back to regulated rates in trucking. I don't think they understand what that act was. I don't think they understand that under trucking regulation, financial regulation prior to 1980, and it had been that way since 1935, I believe. I think the original act to regulate trucking was around 1935. And then it was um, reversed in 1980. It was actually started by Carter and finished by um, Reagan. It gave the federal government power to control the rates in trucking. And they did it. They didn't set the rates, but they controlled the supply of trucks by not issuing authority. They, they just wouldn't issue authority. So you couldn't put more trucking companies on the road. So that fixed the supply and demand. Limit the supply, demand keeps growing, prices went through the roof. There were lots of people with trucking companies getting rich. There were also a lot of people just shut out of that market. And that's not a free market. That's not capitalism. That That's some weird mix of socialism and even some communism in there with, with government controlling a major industry that impacts every other industry in the country, shipping. And I can't believe there are people who would want to see that come back. That's so un-American, really. To have the government controlling a big industry like this, look, it's never coming back. I'm not worried about it. There are some things I, I think we can predict pretty safely, and this is one of them. Regulated rates in trucking are never coming back, no matter how much somebody might wish for it. I, I'm just shocked that there are people in trucking who actually think it would be a good thing. All right, what else did I have this morning? I had all kinds of uh, news here that I went through. Here's the headline, spot market at bottom, contract projected to continue falling. Um, this comes from FTR. FTR is a freight forecasting organization. Uh, I follow several. They are predicting that we're at the bottom of the spot market. I hope so, but I don't think we are. I actually believe there might be more room to drop. We'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, I say I hope it doesn't drop, but honestly, a short-term drop might not be a bad thing. We need to wash out some, some trucks and some trucking companies as quick as possible. Uh, where a lot of people will suffer because of it. So they think the contract rates will continue to fall. I agree with them on that, but I think there might be room for um, spot market rates to falter a little more as well. Here's another headline. This makes me insane. This is why I don't want government involved. They make a mess of everything. 
man accused of using $2.9 million in fraudulent COVID relief funds. Now, he's ripping off the government because they made it so easy to rip them off. The, the COVID programs were absolutely awful. I was shocked at how easy it was for me to get $80,000 from the government. It was shockingly easy. And owner-operators that went on to get idle loans of $100,000 or more. That's in, it was just pure insanity. And look at what it did. This guy ripped off $2.9 million. Guess what, he, guess what he did with it? He took the money he stole from the government, our money, by the way, and then he cheated the government again because he used the money to start a company to delete emissions from trucks. And they deleted a bunch of them. And then they got caught. What a disaster. Both of these are because of the government. And this is our money. Now you got a bunch of trucks out there that they have now identified as being deleted. The value on those trucks have plummeted. It's possible that those trucks may be totaled. Well, what do you mean totaled? They weren't wrecked. They didn't catch on fire. No, but they need ten dollars to $12,000 to bring the emissions back to where they're street legal again. And they're probably not worth the money it would be required because the values have dropped so much from what they were paid for in the last couple of years. What a disaster this is all the way around. This is what happens when government gets involved, really. It's just, and, and yet we have people in the trucking industry screaming for more regulation, just not on them. They want everybody else in the trucking industry regulated because it's everybody else's fault that they're failing. This is what we get when we get more government involvement. What else we got? Uh, I, you know, I don't know if this is really meaningful or not, but I, I've been talking for the last three years about the whole died suddenly thing. Why are more and more people having heart attacks and strokes and dying suddenly? Why do we have all these weird health issues? Why has cancer exploded around the world? There are very strong clues that it has something to do with the COVID vaccination. Very strong clues. Now, I have no idea if this is a meaningful headline or not, but it just makes me wonder. Here's the headline. Group asks for help getting home three truckers who passed away over the road this week. Now, I know this group's been around a long time and they help get drivers home after they die. They Great organization, because that, that is a tough thing to have happen. You know, your your spouse or somebody in your family dies and they're thousands of miles away. That's a So this group does great work. I've been reading about this group for years. I don't remember seeing them in the headlines because they had three in the same week. Again, I don't know if this is highly unusual or if it means anything or if it's just a coincidence. It just seems like I have to read an awful lot of stuff about people dying and getting cancer a lot more than I used to. All right, here's another topic that uh, I have a lot of experience with. UPS must negotiate with Teamsters before introducing new technologies. I have two, uh, two topics, two different stories this morning about unions. Now, I think most people realize I'm not a big fan of unions. I don't really care if they exist or not. Um, I, when you look at these two stories, I can't imagine having to run a business and, and have to negotiate with the unions. 
So here's one. Uh, UPS must negotiate with Teamsters before introducing new technologies. Unbelievable. Do you know how difficult it is as a, as a business of this size to choose new technologies, any kind of new technology they're talking about? Now, I know they're worried about autonomous vehicles and they want to be able to negotiate that, but this is any technology. UPS can't introduce new barcode scanners or, or new whatever technology in the drivers without negotiating with the Teamsters about it first. I can't even imagine. I, I'm in this now. We're, we're at a point in our company where with AI and new technologies out, we have to make some hard decisions. You can't ignore this stuff. You can't go on using the old technologies. We've tried that. It's almost impossible. You have to upgrade. Trying to figure out what to upgrade to can be a huge issue for businesses. Make the wrong decision, and sometimes it could put you out of business. And now they have this other big factor. They're going to have to go in and negotiate with the Teamsters before they can put new technology in place. What a mess. Uh, here's the other Teamster story. Yellow's tonnage remains in free fall. Bitter dispute with Teamsters likely driving freight from the network. Here's another huge risk for these trucking companies that have to negotiate with the Teamsters. Everybody knows about it now. We start talking about this months ahead of time. It's in the news. The reason is nobody wants their freight on these trucks if they might go on strike. We, we, I watch UPS has got a contract coming up as well. We ship with UPS, FedEx, and the post office. We use all three. I promise you, if we get close and it looks like UPS going on a strike, we will not put a single package on their trucks. I won't do that to my customers. I won't do it to myself. Because if that package gets stuck in the warehouse and our customer didn't get it, well, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna ship out another one. And I can't afford that. So we will watch this closely. And I know our account doesn't matter to UPS. But this is a big, big deal. This is one of the reasons I was there. This is one of the reasons FedEx was able to grow as fast as they were. RPS, really. And then that's why they got bought by FedEx, because they grew so fast. Most of the growth came every time UPS threatened to go on strike or went on strike. I went through two of them when I was a contractor there. Never seen anything like it. I've talked about it before. I was renting trailers. Rules got thrown right out the window. We had so much freight we had to move. That happened several times, and many of those customers never went back to UPS, or they started shipping with both, so they had an alternative. Because what happened after the first couple of times, RPS then said, hey, look, here's the window. If you think you want to use our services, you better get in now. Once we get closer to a potential strike with UPS, we will not take new customers. That was a big deal. And here we are again. This time it's yellow. They are losing a ton of freight because of the possible Teamster strike. The other reason I bring this one up is just remember a couple of years ago, the federal government bailed yellow out. I believe it was like $700 million. I said it, it, they should have just let them die. They should let them die now. Just get it over with. Stop using our money to protect these companies. 
There's no such thing in business as too big to fail. That phrase should never be uttered. I don't care how big you are. We should not be using our money to save any business and, and then use the excuse, well, they're too big to fail. It would wreck the economy. Horrible policy. Uh, should I even talk about this one? Here's another headline. Truckers protest in L.A. after city ends hauling contract over AB5. Listen to this. Some owner operators count five generations participating in a 130 year old program. Nearly 100 owner operators protested in downtown L.A. on Thursday after receiving letters that the city was ending their contract uh, for its as needed haul truck program, citing the independent contractor law AB5. I, when I read this article, I thought, wait a minute, this AB5 shouldn't even apply here, except I was wrong because there's all kinds of weird exceptions in AB5 that I didn't even understand. Still don't really understand them. When I look at these hundred owner operators, I didn't think AB5 would have affected them, except they're one of the first that are going to lose their contract. I want to go back and do a little research. Five generations and 130 years, this program's been going on. That's a story in and of itself, but now it's uh, it's gone over AB5. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. What else do we got? Uh, I had some AI stuff. I'm not going to talk about it. We have plenty going on. I really, uh, I've got one phone call. So uh, if you want to jump in, now would be the time. 855-950-3835. Jump in. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, you want to comment on anything I just talked about, want to bring up something new, you got a question, need some advice, pick up the phone and join me. Going to get started in Kansas. Bob, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, about, about a month ago, I had to do a job. I went into a refinery and picked some stuff up and they're like, well, you got to shave your beard before you come in and stuff. And so I was like, oh, no problem. Anyways, I shaved it and, you know, I figured so, it'll grow let, back. I've always had me, a beard and stuff. And, let, let me ask you a question. Shaved or trimmed down really short? No, it had to be clean shaven. Really? I was picking up a crane inside of a refinery and you had to be... I had to go through a training deal where they taught you how to use the mask and everything. Wow. And anyways, I mean, it was, it was no big deal. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, anyways, I thought it would grow back and it'd just be like normal. Well, it's been about a month and I grew my beard back. And for some reason, like down my jawline and up into on the left side of my face on my mustache area, it's, it didn't grow back correctly. And I was like, oh, it's never been. I never had that before. And uh, anyways, I keep growing it back and keep growing it back. And, and down my and now it's working its way back towards my ear where on my jawline where my beard's not growing back. And I, was, and I looked it up, and it's some form of alopecia. And they said, you know, just normal aging and stuff. How does this? And, I mean, I've been doing, you know, a keto carnivore diet for about five years now. And I was just wondering if you've ever heard of anything like this or it's just, or how do I fix it? They say it's kind of like an autoimmune where your immune system is attacking your hair follicles, causing them to die. And I was just curious, I, is I, there anything I can do for it? Or have you ever heard of such a thing? I've heard of it. I've, I haven't done any research. Maybe I need to, um, just, I don't know. I don't know if it's autoimmune. I, I really have no good answers for you because I've just not researched this at all. 
the one thing that does come to mind that is common, and it happened to me, it, it happens to most people, and it doesn't seem to matter. I've been on a really clean diet for nine years. Um, as we age, you tend to lose hair across your body. On my legs, you used to have really hairy <laughs> legs. It, it's almost all gone. And that's not uncommon. It's very common. And, and I thought at one point, well, maybe it was part of the diet. Maybe, you know, if you're eating a really clean diet, it won't happen. But it happened to me. Uh, and I've lost hair on other parts of my body as well. Just, it just slowly over time, I have less and less hair on my body, which is kind of strange. But it happens. I know absolutely nothing about it. I'm going to have to go do some reading. Uh, yeah, I just was curious that you'd ever heard about it. And I, I had a question about AI. I've been, I do a lot of oversized permitted loads and we get these permits from the state and they're like kind of difficult to understand. And, you know, there's certain things about them that the way they they write it and you got to read it and you got to map it out. And, you, you know, it takes a good, sometimes an hour to map out a permit where you pin it out on your phone or you pin it out on a laptop or something. And not, not always an hour, 45 minutes. It's kind of painstakingly to get each one of your turns in and stuff. And I was thinking about how could AI help me, you know, go through this and how if I could get it to read. And so I downloaded the the app and I asked it to do a few things. And it, it's when like, you say well, the we app, can't hold, hold it, on a it second. It won't hold, interface hold, with maps hold, and stuff like that. Hold on. Go back. I have no idea what app you downloaded because there's about 10,000 AI apps right now. Okay. What app did you download? I can't comment. Which one should I? I, I don't it, know. It's, it's it, ChatGPT's app. Okay. So is it from ChatGPT itself or is it a third-party company using ChatAPT to power their app? Okay, I have no no idea. Which one should I download? I, I don't know yet. They change so fast. This is why I, I we're not even making any decisions within our company. We just all experiment with new stuff. It, it's too early, I think, to commit to anything. Now, if you have a specific task to accomplish, then yes, we could go figure out. I, I would start with I would do a search for AI legal apps. This is a contract. We're looking at contract language. And this is a place where I think AI will shine. I think AI is going to put an awful lot of attorneys out of business and paralegals and legal clerks. And it, law is precise. And we have huge databases full of law cases. This is exactly what makes AI really work well complicated area with huge data sets and very specific rules. That, may, that is the ideal use for AI. It's not really opinion. It, it's much more based on fact. And so, and there are a ton of AI apps already doing legal stuff. You're just going to have to do some searches and try some. I, 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 I want to be able to help people more with AI, ones? but it's too early. I mean, I can't figure out my own uses of AI yet. I, I've used probably 40, at least 40 different apps in the last couple of weeks, just trying them out. Here's one of the things that's going to happen. Um, I know already I, I'm going to have to set a date and I'm going to have to sit down and probably spend a day going back and canceling a whole bunch of subscriptions. You don't have to sign up for subscriptions. There are plenty of free programs out there, but I was only using the free stuff and realized I'm falling behind already. Uh, sometimes I just have to 
suck it up and and I won't, you know, buy a year's worth on anything, but if they offer a monthly, I've probably signed up for at least a dozen of these already and I just need to set a date so I go back and remember to get rid of all of them or get rid of the ones that I'm not going to use. And uh, honestly, some of these tools are absolutely amazing. I start to use them and think, yeah, this is it, except I try another one. I go, well, look, this one's even easier and better. And it's mind boggling how fast this is happening. So if, if I was going to search for like a, a bunch of these, how, how would I find out which one would be the one that would do just something like this? Or do you just have just, no idea? We I, just I keep no trying idea. and trying and trying until we have one. I, I, and even if I knew okay. one that would do it, is it the best one? I have no idea. Okay. So really, you know, when I say I committed three to four hours a day, I, I spend three to four hours a day reading newsletters so I can see what's available. If a certain version of AI interests me, then I go look for th at that specific tool. And if it really interests me and I have to, I'll sign up for a subscription to try it. Uh, but but I, I'm almost not, I'm trying these things one time and almost not going back yet because there's so many new things to try. I would just say that in this application, this would be one thing that I could really use that Absolutely. would work for me and my I, 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 what we do. It, here's, here's where we are on this right now. You can create your own chat bots. Now, it's not simple, hey, and I, I, but what I'm finding is people are already writing step-by-step -step tutorials. Here is how you program your own chatbot to do this. And they're, they're still fairly complicated. You, you don't have to understand coding. I know nothing about coding. And I've, I've actually written some chatbots and created web pages with calculators, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and I know zero coding. But if I can take my time and follow one of these tutorials, I can create this stuff. And that that's what, what is happening right now. It's like AI is there, but everybody's building their own individual little versions of AI to do specific things. And that's what you need right now. You, you can either figure out how to So where do make I go to find your, that information? Here's what I would do search for and and why not go to google and use google's new ai search which they have now uh, I, well you may not be able to you have to be i think it's on a wait list now so just do any search for ai newsletters start there and sign up for about 10 newsletters okay. and then just set give yourself an hour or two every day to to during a quiet time with no distractions just start reading the newsletters and then if you want, do a, do a search for AI legal tools and just start reading some of the websites and see what they do and see if it makes sense to you. Okay. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. I would have thought that the uh, calls would have piled up, but uh, I've got one in the queue coming in right now, uh, and that's it. So uh, maybe an early day for me. I have no problem uh, dropping off here at 9 o'clock. I've got a lot going on, uh, a lot of projects I'm back working on. Uh, almost all of my projects, when I say I'm working on them, what I'm doing is what I was just talking about, testing out AI tools to make every one of those projects better.
And it, uh, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic about that. Um, I, I have been writing a lot more than I ever write because writing is now easier for me. And I, I am not just sitting down and telling AI to write an article. I'm taking old material that I've updated over the years and running it through AI, and it's just making it much more powerful. All right, calls are starting to come in. We'll stick with them. Let's go to Florida. Tony, welcome to the program. Mr. Rutherford, my man, how are you, sir? It's Monday morning, and I am uh, right with the world today. That's right. I won't bore you with the... um with my exhaust manifold right now, sleep study number 88. I wasn't supposed to talk about that, but yes, I am proud of my, finally a good score. What, um, was, it? what was your score? On my Garmin watch, 88. Oh man, that is awesome. 88 is a good score. I don't get anywhere near there. It usually cheats me um, at least an hour out of my, and I try to get 12, but I usually only end up with 10. And it'll give me like eight and a half hours of sleep and, and say I'm awake for an hour and a half. This time it only cheated me about 30 or 45 minutes, gave me uh, over 10 hours out of 11, even 10 and a half. So I got an 80 out, 88 out of that. I don't know what happens if you get over 90. I've never done it. Yeah, me either. Me either. 88's a high score. Congratulations. Let's see. What else? Um, HRV, I think I'm around a 62 on that. Still need another week of of sleep uh, HRV to, to get my seven-day average. Yeah, I've got a weird thing going on with HRV. Mine was climbing for no apparent reason other than probably all the activity in the garden, which was really good. And then for some reason, about two weeks ago, it started dropping a couple points a night. And I'm back down into like the mid 40s again. And I have no idea why, other than I don't think I'm sleeping enough for the amount of physical activity I'm getting. But it's the physical activity that seems to shorten my sleep. And I feel good. Right. I'm the opposite. I, I overtrained. It's at 68, actually. I, I completely killed myself. I am, every part of me is sore. Um, <laughs> so I sleep good. I definitely, I can sleep through a nightmare, but 68 there, but I'll work on that on keep. Um, I do got to say, if there's other people out there that have this Garmin watch, it has burned a hole through my wrist. Uh, I didn't want to leave that until the Garmin guy is on there. I had to take it off. I woke up scratching and I don't know if, it, if that that's a magnet or some kind of radiation in there with those flashing things, but it like burned a hole in my wrist and... That and that, I've got some dermatitis from that watch. That That's planned. It has to burn the hole first so it can insert the microchip. I see. I, exactly. Well, I think Peterbilt has inserted a microchip into my exhaust manifold, if I may jump, because this is relevant. Sure. If I can switch to maintenance for a, of course. one second. I called in about that. There was a belt chirping sound and people were trying to help me. Yes, it is a pack car again. Um, they have found two manifold bolts on the bottom, the bottom of the manifold that are broken and they wanted to, um, I, to replace $3,200, 20 hours. Now, what you'll be concerned with is this shop. I have a bad relationship, but it's the only shop around me. So I've been working with them anyway. They kicked me off of their property this time because I complained no to way. the regional manager. Um, 
I had a an airbag, and they were they uh, took out my differential and resealed it because they said this the the um grinding sound that I also called you about, it turned out to be an airbag and they resealed the differential. No change. I ended up changing an airbag out of TA and it was gone. It was the airbag. So I complained that they're over repairing. And this is, I think this is the same because I'm not getting any blowback from the the bolt where it inserts. Okay. So I have some things to say. The First off, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this shop because you don't have many options. This is one of the reasons I just can't like the Packard engine. One of too many. Let's say it was, let's say it had this beautiful architecture with that, that we could really downspeed it and had a nice, you know, short stroke and, and all, low pit. We could do all those things we want to do because the architecture was correct. It's not. If it were, I would still have a problem. It would not be a choice for me, and here's why. Good job. We don't have anybody in this country that has 10 years' experience working on pack cars. We don't have anybody with five good years, as far as I'm concerned. Most guys who work on them, that's not the only engine they work on. They work on all the other engines. They get a pack car once in a while. That's a problem for me. It was one of the reasons I could not get on board with the Volvo engines early on. The service was awful. Nobody knew how to work on them because they had never been around. So that's another issue I have with this engine. But I will say this, if I, I would not ignore that manifold problem. You're, it's chirping. There's a problem there. When you say it's not getting, it's not leaking or whatever, it is. That's the noise. You got to fix this. I see smoke down where it goes into the uh, emissions, but, like that pipe. Yeah. So, but I while, smoke there, but that's while the I was I fixing the manifold, I would install a ported and polished manifold. Let's at least gain something okay. out of this. Call Pittsburgh Power, and what you might have to do is you might have to buy the. They manif- won't do it. Who won't do it? I don't mean have them install it. Uh, but talk to them about the manifold. Pittsburgh Power will work on both. No, they, I, they don't want to touch the pack car. I asked. I, I, I'm not asking you to take it to them. I wouldn't because I know they, they don't want to work on it and they wouldn't be any good at it anyway. But they can get you the manifold, I believe, because the way it works, you would buy the manifold, ship it to them or have it shipped to them. They will do the work on it and then send it back. So we might we might as well gain something from this problem. Tony, you still there? Say that again. Oh, my manifold. No. Well, uh, the it's possible if the truck's going to be down a long time, you might want to talk to them. Maybe you could take your manifold that's on the truck. It would have to come off. Then it would get shipped to them. I don't have any idea what the time is on this. I haven't talked about it in a long time. And then they would ship it back and you would install it. They send it out and have it have it basically what we call ported and polished. They're going to clean up all the edges in there. They're going to smooth out the whole surface. At one point, they did a ceramic coat at the end to make it even slicker. I'm not sure if they're still doing any of that. But before I spent a bunch of money fixing a manifold, I would talk to them and see what my options are for getting a better manifold in there. I see. Um, just for all of my uh, fans out there that want me to keep running this truck, uh, it has gotten me uh, six years without any real problems. It'll probably go uh, two million miles without even addressing anything. I know you don't like Packard, but 
it, it's been good, and I don't think this is a real major issue. I think it'll still go, and I'll run it into the ground and then just get a new truck. That's my that's, that's my not a way. Bad idea. But I will, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll see because I really can't afford it. Um, uh, but yeah, I do like that idea. I'll call Pittsburgh Power again and see. Talk about the uh, the relationship with the dealer though, because I I pretty much have to go to Naples or right. or Tampa. So here's here's my uh, thing. I've got a little guy, but that, I, do big jobs. I, I can talk about it, but I don't have any good answers for you. That's why I get so frustrated. I, I am not a fan of I, I, I've done it occasionally, but I'm usually not a fan of having my primary maintenance and relationship at a dealer. I, I just find that there I, I really prefer smaller independent shops where I get to know the owner. That's the size of a shop I want to deal with. I know the owner of the shop, and that's who I have my relationship with. It, it, but it, I, I don't yeah. know of any independent mechanics or shops out there that are really doing any work on pack cars. So that may not be an option for you. That's a problem for me. I, that's see, the, I do know a that, guy. That's the way Volvo engines have been for about two, two decades. What, what do you mean? They, they build and sell like, trucks. Have you literally heard of anybody asking somebody a customer a loyal customer that has spent lots of money to remove them their truck from their property at once the, the only way i could see that happening is if you were so obnoxious and outrageous they needed to call the police i mean other than that i get angry customers i'd be angry too deal with it. But no, I, I'm shocked that uh, you sound like a pretty reasonable person to me. So I, I look, I, I was really almost on a service manager's desk one time screaming at him. I totally lost control. It was over that damn Meritor transmission and all the money I spent on it. And and if they would have removed me from the property, oh, it, they didn't. I, I'm shocked that somebody just did, asked you to leave. That's kind of bizarre. I did say that I wasn't ever going to come to Peterbilt again, but he left me high and dry. I mean, this manifold, I wanted them to fix it. I was going to pay. I already did. But they not only uh, said to remove from the property, which I think was bonehead. So why? Uh, yeah. What, what do they have to gain by that? But they dropped their $300 they had into it. They, they, they didn't make me pay that, the diagnosis either. And, and you know what? How am I, it, how am I going to buy another Peterbilt at all? I can't you won't. now. You won't. I don't and, trust them. And you're calling a radio show so with golf? a lot of other people that buy trucks. And this has to put a little bit of doubt in their mind too. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no even, you should. Even if it is a coming. You should. That's the point of this show. So we share stuff like that. Right. So Joel, tell me a Volvo. I'm ready. If there I go. see a good Volvo out there. Now. Now, hold on, hold on. You know how much I like Volvos and their architecture and everything about them. Really love the truck now. Have for years and years. Now it's even better. I used to love the truck, but hated the engine. And then when you couldn't get a Detroit anymore, I stopped buying (laughs) Volvos. I had to go to Freightliner and I wasn't happy about it, but it was my best option. Now that I can buy a full Volvo engine, driveline, everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, but I still tell people there's still a dealer issue here. There aren't a lot of independent shops that work on these. So before you buy a Volvo, you should probably find a shop. 
Because if you can't find a shop near you, I would say don't buy one. We might have to go to a Freightliner or who knows what. But having a good shop near me with a relationship is so important to me that I have switched truck brands because of it. And I think you should, too. Before I before I um, start calling Joel Plastic Man, I think I might have to go back to Kenworth because I did have a pretty good uh I'm just kidding, by the way. Yeah, I know some I, people think Volvos are made of plastic. That's why I said that. <laughs> but but that T2000 was rather good with that Cat 15. I'm sure nobody would complain about I should have kept it. I, you know, it's a shame that our iconic American brand is in the shape they're in right now. And part of their problem, in my opinion, part of their problem is they are the last truck manufacturer to really integrate and create a proprietary truck. That, now, I know they tried. They, they built their own engine, uh, but they've got a long way to go on that thing. Um, and their, their proprietary truck, just I, I wouldn't own one. I just think they've done a horrible job putting it together. International looks like they may be a real contender in the market again with their new designs on their engines. Uh, I hope so. But I, I don't know what's going to happen. Packard and Cummins, I believe, are both floundering, and those are both iconic American brands. But they're floundering because they didn't. They missed the boat on. We don't build component trucks anymore. We build proprietary trucks, and that's not going to change. It, and they're just way behind the curve on that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, Packard's done. I'm looking for Volvo. There you go. Find a shop. Find a shop first. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on Another your mind Another bad feature about the anti-Americanism, but uh, another bad feature about the Packard engine. If you have to replace a camshaft in that, you have two options. Take the cab off or pull the engine out. <laughs> the camshaft goes in the back. <laughs> oh man, that sounds like fun. Wonder what that job cost. Yeah, probably oh. way more than it should because I'm you got sure. a whole lot of additional labor. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, unbelievable. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of anti-Americanism going around. You know, you can like Trump or dislike him. I don't give a rat's ass. But one law for everybody, not just for some. So. If they're going to arrest Trump, why are they not arresting Biden and Hillary? And there's probably a list of other people you could add, add on there as well. So, You know, the biggest issue here is the way you, we frame this. It, it, the, the fact that this is the first time a, a former president has been criminally charged like this, that's got to be a big, big, big deal. And we should be very careful about yep. something like this. And... Here's the biggest reason in my mind this is a problem. For, forget what he did, forget what documents, because we know every president has dealt with this when they leave office, every one of them. So this is a very unsettled part of our politics. Obama just put in the rule that we're trying to deal with right now, so that's fairly new. Here's the biggest problem with all of this. 
He's the number one candidate, and we have a sitting president yeah. using the power of the American government to eliminate his political rival. That's what's happening here. And whether that's the intent or not, yeah. and I believe it is the intent, but even if it wasn't, this should wait. I'm sorry, even if you're going to prosecute yeah. this, this should not be done right now. This, this records thing has always been an issue. There's nothing egregious about what he did compared to what a ton of, including our current sitting president. Hey, haven't we seen stories yeah. about documents in the garage, documents in Chinatown, documents left at some university someplace? I, yeah. I, somebody explain why, and the left will say, oh, it's different. What's different? Well, well, he, he, part of what, part of what I'm hearing is they're actually prosecuting him for lying about the documents and ignoring the Department of Justice. And, and so it's not the documents themselves. It's a, it's his other things that uh, this is so weak. It's such a weak case to do it at all to a, a former president is just wrong and to do it while he is the number one candidate by far he's the opposition party and we're going to use the department of justice this is just so wrong you know that's kind of like hitler <laughs> it, it's just our political opponent yeah. yeah it's just awful i mean they do this stuff in china they do it in north korea <laughs> uh, they they don't do it we've and, never and done this America. kind of stuff here ever what else you crazy got? stuff uh not a lot because i'm just pulling up to my first delivery of the day but there you I'm go gonna have a bu- had a busy week last week i got four loads to do this week on my contract rate freight which is still very good Thank excellent you, excellent congratulations <laughs> yeah, keep so, it up yeah so all right i will carry on all right Thank you very much well let's go to okay, work bye. you're always busy let's go to North Carolina. Danny, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. What's on your um, mind today? A couple bunch of little things here. I uh, took a Everly Well vitamin D test and the inflammation test. The vitamin D come back at 92. Perfect. And the inflammation, I don't know how to read that. It's. it's I know it says it's in their range. It's, uh, it's a 0.3, 0.03. Okay. Do you know how theirs goes? Oh, that's really low. That, that's, I'm assuming that's that, that yeah, which, that's virtually no information at all. Yeah, it's really good. No, that's a great number. Yeah, well, that's that's good to know. Uh, you know, I've been doing this nursery loads for the past few months here, but it's seasonal and it's pretty much done. So I'm going to have to get back under my flatbed. And uh, I've been watching the rates. There's still some good stuff out there. Uh, I get emails almost every day from a guy that does lumber loads that uh, surprisingly still pay. Okay, not not some people are going to say it's too cheap, but we're still up close to three bucks a mile on some of them loads, depending on where it's going. So I, I don't know how long this downturn or everybody's doom and gloom. All the posts you see about uh, you know the brokers or this and that and I'm just kind of laughing because you know my uh, my costs are low enough. I don't I don't see an issue with this downturn. I've got enough money put back to you know as long as it doesn't go on for years and years. But 
So, well, let, I, don't know. I think it'll be let uh, me give you the other end of the spectrum, because I, I, I'm in a little debate on social media over this right now. I'm probably going to do my spaces on Thursday on this topic. But here's here's the post from one of the guys I'm kind of debating who absolutely believes that this is all a broker issue and the brokers are doing this. They, he really believes this. Here's his post. More scumbag brokers. There are 1,630 loads posted in a 300-mile radius. The rates are $1.20 per mile. Free and fair market supply and demand at work. It is supply and demand at work. He actually got it right. I know he's being sarcastic, but this is how a free market works. Somebody is going to move this freight. Somebody's going to make money doing it. You can sit back and blame it on everybody else, and you won't be one of those people, or you can just decide this is the real world. The government can't fix this. The last thing we want them doing is getting involved. They'll just make it worse. And you, you should be focused on what it takes to, to pay the bills, not running around blaming everybody else. That's Look, even if we could prove this was the brokers, so what? What are you going to do to fix it? Nothing. But it's not. Yeah, I know. There, there are way too here, many trucking companies here. and way too many brokers to ever have any kind of price fixing. It's just not happening. And this demand for transparency is the biggest mistake I think we could make. Every time you have rate transparency, it's a race to the bottom. Why can't they get this? You ship any of these auction I, I sites, agree. eBay, any auction site. I can see the price. All I have to do is cut it by 1%. Then the person behind me cuts it by 1%. Then the next person comes along and cuts it again until it gets down to the basement and nobody is willing to cut it anymore. That's what happens when you have transparency. Right. I agree with you. And I, I even comment if I see somebody with this transparency thing and, you know, I tell them, I say, you know, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't you know, matter. The broker, That's right. If you don't like brokers, go get your own, go get your own uh, so, so, direct customers. So when I was having this debate, I, I, I and it was on text so far. That's why I'm just going to do a space. I hate debating stuff like this over text and post and replies. And but I but I just I tried to just question him, not not make comments. So I started questioning. Well, well, explain to me how the brokers could do this. And then it, he goes off on a tangent. And then I would say, well, well, look. Why, why? So you must be going directly to your shippers and getting freight, right? And he wouldn't answer my question. He just kept avoiding it. And I just kept asking it, I, you know, tell me about your operation. And then I caught some of his posts where he was saying, you know, I had to sign a, a it's not technically a non-compete. I guess it is a non-compete, a back-selling agreement with all these brokers. So now I can't go to those shippers and get freight. Oh, so, oh, and his post that finally pushed me over the edge, he said, brokers and dispatchers, and I'm sure he means dispatch services, are completely unnecessary in the trucking industry. And yet like they act like they're the most important part of the equation. So I started questioning him about his operation. Turns out, all of his freight is spot market through brokers, all of it. And I said, why would you use a broker if you think they're scumbags and cheats? Well, it's working in my operation. And I said, then why are you pushing for all this government regulation and transparency? Well, other people are out there getting ripped off. Uh, 
Would you trust somebody who posts over and over and over that all brokers are scumbags and then you find out their entire business model is built on brokers? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's here's something that, that here's here's something I'm, tell me, let me give you my uh, uh, thought on a lot of this. When you set up, uh, let me try to make sure I word it right. You can be set up, a lot of these uh, shippers, when they get freight, like I've, I've got some places around here where, you know, I've, I've talked to them and, and they said, yeah, well, we, they don't do a lot of outside carriers. They have their own trucks, but they do occasionally. I said, well, great. It's, you know, if we can work together. I see a load on the load board and I knew where it was coming from. So I called them and says, hey, I, there's a load that's going point A to point B, you're shipping out. And they say, well, it's not, a, it's not us. A lot of times the customer, whoever's buying it or somebody else is uh, acquiring the truck and they'll send a truck in. So the shipper doesn't know who's, all they know is a truck is coming to get their load. So it has nothing to do with them, which is why you may be set up direct with the shipper but when you see loads going out, it's not the shipper avoiding you. It's the other end, the customer, receiver, you know, whoever. Correct. Is say, hey, I've got a load that we're coming in. And that's something to keep in mind for people that are trying to get set up with, uh, you know, direct. I mean, I've, so here, company I'm leased to, we've got some that are direct. Here's the thing about getting direct freight. If you are a small carrier, you know, one to five trucks kind of thing, even up to 10, most shippers don't want to deal with you. This is a change that has happened the entire time I've been in the industry. So I came into the industry only about five years after deregulation. I mean, I, I was pretty close. The, a lot of things were changing back then. Prior to deregulation, there really weren't freight brokers. Now there's tens of thousands of them. Deregulation created freight brokers because it created so many carriers because prior to deregulation, you couldn't become a carrier. It was virtually impossible. You had to go buy your authority for a million dollars or more. So there were a lot of carriers. That's how they controlled the rates. The government did that. But after all of a sudden there was thousands and thousands of trucking companies and they were coming out of the woodwork because now it's an open market. So... What happened yeah. then is as a shipper, how do you figure out which one of these thousands of trucking companies you should be using? They're all knocking on your door all day. They Everybody's got a different system. So if you've got 10 different trucking companies in there, companies back then had huge shipping departments. I used to be in them every day when I was doing all that P&D work. I knew the people that worked in there. Companies today don't have huge shipping departments. That's why they use brokers. And that's what they like. They don't want to go hire those people again. But if one of these companies, instead of using five brokers to move 300 loads a day, tried to use all individual trucking companies, imagine what a nightmare that becomes. That's why they use brokers. Yeah. And they like them and they're going to continue using them. So we as carriers better figure that out, that you're either going to work with brokers or you better go to very, very small shippers and, and try to get your foot in the door as, as one of their carriers. And it can be done, but you have to know which size companies to target. Yep, yep. 
I, I try to get, you know, when I say set up direct, that's, you know, through the carrier. So when I haul it, it's directly through them. But here's something too. And I've, I've, some of the, not not all of them, but some of these shippers, when you talk to them, when they see, you know, if you want to set up with them, especially if you're a small guy, they look at, well, if we cut out the, the middleman, you know, we can just pay you what we're paying, you know, what you're getting. Of course, I wouldn't tell them what I'm getting, but they're like trying to figure it out. So what they're doing is they're paying 2000 on a load. Broker's paying 1700 They said, well, we'll pay you the 1700 and we'll say, well, you're not making any more money because now, but I've had that happen years ago. I just uh, passed on it because happens a lot. Then happens all the time. That that's business. And I've actually mean. seen. I've actually seen. Uh, there's a there's a place that makes those uh, utility trailers. We actually got set up direct with them, and I called them to to, to book a load, and they didn't want to pay as much as what the broker was paying. Correct. I so, didn't understand that. Well, let me let me explain. I was what, like, well, what, the what, broker was paying like an extra, you know. Let me explain what could have happened. Go ahead. And this is another thing owner operators don't understand. They think brokers sit at home with a phone and do no work. They don't. They go out and make sales calls. If they're good brokers, they'll be out making sales calls, working with their customers. They have to bid on a lot of freight and a lot of lanes and it's complicated and i can tell you what happened they bid too low and they can't get a truck to move it and they have to pony up they probably lost money on that load happens brokers lose money on loads too they go in and book it at a certain rate and they know rates and lanes they have to but rates and lanes can change so fast that you book this load for a week or two out and that lane dries up and now you have to, as the broker, you have to pay the carrier more than, than you got paid for the load. That happens. I, I agree. I believe it. And, uh, I'm following a bunch of people there that, uh, on, on Twitter there, which I'll get way too much time on that app. <laughs> uh, but like Craig, Craig Fuller does a lot of stuff with, uh, like the what's going on with the rates and the Craig, trucks and are, all that stuff. And there's a lot of good. Are you familiar with who Craig is? A lot of good trucking stuff on there, but there's, yeah. Okay. Uh, U.S. Express and yeah, freight waves and yeah, he's the son all of that good the stuff. U.S. Express started freight waves. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Craig, I almost all of my industry data now comes from freight waves and Craig's post and, and some of the other editors over there. And I, they've just got really, really good data. I just wanted to make sure that you you knew who I was on there because I don't oh, yeah. think my yeah. name shows up, but you know I don't. I just a pickup truck and and yeah, uh, you use the same. I didn't handle, know how though, you right? figured it out, but well, obviously you know you go off names, but yeah, my CB handle for the past thirty years was Scat Pack, right? So I saw, and that, that was so. a lot of uh, screen names, yeah. yeah. But there's there's other people that use it because it's a Mopar term, and uh, I usually have a number or something after it. I've oh one or on here it's one oh three because that was a truck number. I I don't I don't know why I picked one oh three, but yeah. <laughs> all right, well yeah, you know it's me and yep. I catch the spaces when I can, 
but you know, if I'm in and out of the truck, you know, I'm having to turn it off and I've signed, come back, listen. And, but I usually catch the replays when I miss the show. But, uh, anyway, I got a busy day today. I just got home with the, took the motor home to get the, uh, yearly inspection. And now I got to go get the tag, uh, renewal for it and, uh, tinker with some of the trucks and there you go. I'll, uh, let you go. Sounds, Thanks, Kevin. Sounds like a good day. Talk to you soon. Let's go to South Dakota. Scott, welcome. Hey, Kevin. I'm a member of the Trucking Tribe, and I put on there, put a post on there, and he said, call you on the show, so here I am. Oh, good. Let me, uh, should I go back and look at the post, or can you summarize it for me? I get that a lot, so it's not coming to me which one it was right, right. now. It's easy summary. I took your advice and, like, bought your courses and been working through them. And you always said, get in at the bot, you know, when the market's the worst, so that way yes. you can learn the hard way of how to run your number. So back in March, I paid my $10 to the state to register my business name and got my EIN and applied for a business loan to try and, you know, buy a truck. And okay. I'm getting dizzy looking at all these dang things. Can't find anything. So know. what's your budget? Can't find a TC Volvo. I'm looking probably around 70. Okay. Um, I got a loan for 100, so I want to keep some money in reserve, so that's why I was thinking around 70. And What's the interest rate? 10.5. Not awful. Um, but it's but it's enough that you really yeah, want to, you don't want to spend that 100,000. I wouldn't. Right. That's I, what yeah, I'm I would. I, I need to yes, keep I would, a little in reserve for. Yeah, I would spend. Well, wait a minute though. Is this like a home equity line or a, a revolving line of nope, credit? No, this was so, just a signature loan. So you had to borrow the entire hundred thousand. So whether you spend it or not, you're paying interest on it. That was a mistake, in, in right. my opinion. You borrowed money that you're not using, but you're paying that ten percent interest on it. Right. I, I would probably. Yeah, I get I, that. I, that's, that's, I, well, that's well, really the only way I could come up with any cash. No, Scott, you're not listening no. to me. And and we don't, in my opinion, you don't make bad decisions because it's your only choice. Then you don't make the decision at all. Don't borrow the money. But it wasn't your only choice. Right. You're looking at a truck for 70. You borrowed 100. Just borrow the set. Actually, if, you're, if your budget is 70, you should have been borrowing 50 to buy this truck half of what you borrowed. The other okay. 20 should have come out of your pocket. So when I talk about starting at the bottom, I mean it. It's the best place to start. But you don't have a lot of room for error. Right. We have to remember that. You, right. You've got to, so I say, if you're going to start at the bottom, you better have a solid plan. You better be making good decisions. This was your first bad decision. If it were me, I'd be taking forty or 50000 out of that loan and paying it back now. As long as there's no prepayment penalties. And I don't know that without looking at the contract. No, there's not. If there's not, I would take 40 or 50 grand and pay it back. And then I'd go find a truck that I could get for 50 or 50 plus me putting in 10 or 20 more cash. Do you have that cash? Yes. Okay. Then, then. I've got, I've got 10 in the bank right now. And that's, that's bare minimum. We should probably be looking at a 40 to $50,000 truck max and then you could pay back like 70 and take 10 and throw it in there and and so i i don't think you're really in the market for a tc volvo in my opinion unless they could they're coming down i mean we we might be yeah, able to find something find 
<laughs> they're out there. You're not looking hard enough. All I've been finding is VGTs. And yeah. You're, yeah. Look, so here's the other thing we do here. When, when I need a specific truck like this and I go search the market and I'm not finding as many as I'd like or I'm not finding any in my range, now I'm going to go find a salesperson and I'm going to give them a list and say, find me one of these. That, that's my approach anyway. I don't want to buy a used truck off the lot. I can't do an oil sample. I can't. I, it's been cleaned up. The oil's been changed. Sometimes they'll swap tires to hide a front end problem. I, I, I don't like buying used trucks off the lot. I want to buy a used truck at an auction. And that's not for, you know, people who aren't really good at buying trucks. Or I want the dealer to go find something at the auction for me. And I tell them, don't change the oil. Don't clean it up. I want to see it first. And here's what I want. Let them go see if they can find it. That makes sense. But I, I would, that that's, that's one thing, but I would redo your numbers here. This is not a time for a first-time okay. buyer with $10,000 to be borrowing 100000 and then sitting on it. Well, what, with the debt ceiling debacle and all that stuff, you know, and banks failing, I'm like, I need to... No, you don't. I thought it'd be best I, to no, no, yeah, jump you, in head first and get no, this before well, it that, dries up. This is your first lesson, and the good news here is we can fix this mistake. It'll cost us a lot less if you go start looking for a forty to $50,000 truck and take about fifty or 60000 of this cash and just pay it back now. Yeah, those $40,000 trucks, they all got a million plus miles on them. I mean, you're paying. So what? So what? We don't even rebuild engines anymore. These engines go well past a million, and we can predict that. That's why I want to inspect the truck. I want to do a crankcase pressure test. I can tell how many, how much wears on the cylinders. I want to do a good front end inspection. I can tell how bad the truck's been maintained or not from all of those things. But the whole key to starting at the bottom, your cost better be as low as possible, and you better have a really solid plan. And, and your first move through your cost, do you, you do realize that to borrow $100,000 at 10% interest costs you $10,000 a year. Yeah, that's about what uh, That will put you said. out of business. That's $10,000 you should have in your pocket and it's gone to some finance company. It bought you nothing. If I spend $10,000, I better get something. You got nothing. You've got money sitting in the bank that's costing you money. Yeah, so far it's cost me about eight hundred bucks. Eight hundred dollars would have bought an awful lot of business books. Right. I I would stop the plan and go back and fix this mistake, and then start over with the new plan. You shouldn't be borrowing a hundred thousand. So you're thinking I should only be borrowing half of that then? I, Honestly, no, correct. I I would go even further, but, but we could do okay. If you borrow 40 or 35 and put your 10 into the truck purchase, you'd be okay at that point. I'm not saying you can't borrow any money, but man, a hundred thousand at 10% interest. That's a chunk for nothing. You're, you're, you're not even planning on spending it all. Even when you buy a truck, but I think 70 is too much for a truck for you right now. Truck prices are dropping fast. They're, the bargains are already hitting out there. You got to look for them, but they're out there and they're going to keep coming. Okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. Call me back. Let me know. We'll, we'll keep working through this. 
it's 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 nice to be able to make mistakes that don't put you out of business and you learn something from this could be one of those we can pay a lot of this back we can avoid a lot of that interest and you'll remember this and this is how we learn by making mistakes the risk of starting at the bottom. I I talk a lot about the rewards of starting at the bottom and I'm a big believer in it. The risk of starting at the bottom is is you don't have a lot of leeway. We we can't afford to be paying interest on tens of thousands of dollars that you're not even planning on using. And I know people say, well, what about an emergency? Well, when the emergency happens, if you have to go borrow the money, but we should have been planning for an emergency already. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What, what's up, Kev? I got a thing for Tony, but there's wrist on the watch. What I do with mine is I alternate wrists. You know, when I uh, see my tan is getting, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just switch to the other wrist. You know, Lisa has had and, some issues with her watch causing some skin irritation under there, but she gets that from rings sometimes too. I have zero issues. Mine has been on my left arm and the only time it ever comes off is when it's being charged and it's been like that since the watch came out and I have zero issues. I don't know what that is. Yeah, in the beginning I had it too, but like I, what I do too is, I mean, I, I haul aggregate. So if I go to my lift gate and stuff like that, like I'll get, I, I had a load of ag line today and I uh, went to go lift the gate open and it fell out and some got on there. So it gets underneath it. So I just take oh, it yeah. off and clean it. Yeah. But that's when if he, and he said he was haul, I forget what he haul, he was doing uh, heavy haul and stuff. He's moving chains and stuff around. He's getting stuff underneath there. You know what I mean? Could just got to keep it clean. Yeah. That's what I always did. So. Yeah. I, I, I get I mean, I'm digging in the dirt all the time and working with, you know, plant foods (laughs) and compost and and my watch is usually a mess, but uh, never had any problems. Yeah, that's all I got, man. I just want to see if that's what I do. I alternate arms on it every now and then. If I get irritation or something underneath there, it looks hard or it gets too white and I got to get it tanned up. (laughs) There you go. All right. Good (laughs) stuff. We will head, uh, we're going to go north of the border this time in Canada. Kyle, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Doing wonderful. What can I help you with today? So I figured I'd give you an update to um, a quarterly diabetes checks up, checkups. And uh, uh, probably 10 years ago, I, I don't know if the numbers are the same in Canada as they are in America, but... My number was, my A1C was 21 10 years ago. And my latest checkup uh, two weeks ago was down to 8.3. Wow. Wow. No, the numbers are very different in Canada, like everything else. Your system's easier. Um, but I don't use it, so sometimes I've got to break out the calculators. But that that's an incredible improvement. So basically, it's like I started walking every day, and then I had my accent, so I wasn't walking as much. But the last six months, I make a point of walking probably a kilometer and a half or so, so about a mile a day. Not all at once, but kind of throughout the day, I walk about a mile a day. But what I've done, like, I do, I've taken out all the, the bread products, all the grain and everything. And all like, if I want pasta, I use, like, I've got a friend that makes um, almond flour pasta. Okay. So I don't know if that's kind of a worthwhile thing. But it's, I've noticed a big change over the last, especially two years. Excellent. Fantastic. What does your doctor say? But my, uh, my doctor is very 
happy that I that I've like I've lost a lot of weight. Like my heaviest weight was four hundred and thirty three pounds, and my last checkup when I went uh, last week, I was down to about two eighty. So excellent. So and it's just been I've been walking. I've been walking every day. Good stuff. Keep it up. I'm sure you're feeling much better. Well, my I've got. Um, the reason I kind of had to see my doctor was that I've got a sciatic nerve damage from my accident. And they, the reason that they figured it was damaged was because I've got a bulge in my T, my L4, L5, uh, in my lower spine from my accident. So they're at the point now of trying to figure out how severe it is by doing an MRI on my back. So I, they figure once I can kind of get that done, then I can get a little bit more mobility kind of going and get my walking back in again where I used to be. Perfect. Excellent. You doing any resistance training at all? Yeah, I do. I go to PT. I've been doing PT for three years now and uh, twice a week. Plus I do kinesiology once a week where they we do a lot of like resistance, like bands and um, that kind of thing where I do not so much weight training, but uh, I get on machines where it gets all the muscles moving, like all the different muscle groups moving. Let, let me and let me give you something to try. Of, I'm very familiar with PT. Um, I've busted enough bones in my body. I've been through it several times, busted both my hips. And I, I've been through PT. Honestly, it sucks. It's just another part of our medical system that is just awful. Um, I, I promise you, rather than the machines and the stuff they have you doing, if you get an X3 bar, do the 10-minute workout three or four times a week, you'll get 10 times better results. Now, if they're doing can something... I, I've heard about that X3. I, I can't imagine PT for three years. What the hell are they doing? Well, I, well, basically what happened, uh, when, I was, when I had my accident, I broke, I was paralyzed from the waist down because of a blood clot on my spine. And so they they were able to sonic treatment out the the blood clot, so I was able to move my legs again. So it's basically been I get out walking, I I do my sit to stands, I do uh, like resistance band on my arms, like I can twist again. And so that, let me that ask you a question. So that's kind of so what they resistance bands on the arm. Tell me what the workout is. How many reps? How many sets? That kind of thing. So like the, the the bands are like I instead of facing the wall, I'm kind of on a ninety degree angle, and I grab the bar in front of me and I twist to the left, um, ten times, and I turn one hundred and eighty degrees, so I'm facing to the right, and I I twist the band in my hand like I'm holding it as close to the body as I can, and and I I twist to the right and then I twist to the left, and then what? So ten times each to the left and the right. And then then I, what? And then I, I rotate that three times, and then three I times, do like three sets. Like starting, so slow down. Three sets of ten each three side. Sets, three each side, and then I do like a lawnmower action, like starting in four. Bent rows. I right. do three sets to that. Here's part of the problem: the three, three sets, sets is a total waste of time. You could be doing one set instead. And it's far more effective. Okay. One set to so so PT. It, it again. You've been doing this kind of stuff for three years. Yeah. My God, in three years, I could have started, you c- competing in, in, you know, your age group in powerlifting. And, and uh, really, I mean, I can't imagine three years of PT of this kind of stuff, but you're, you're not getting the kind of results you should be getting or you wouldn't be doing PT anymore. 
Well, it started off with me, like, basically learning how to walk again. No, I, look, I get that. And in the beginning, when it's walking again, I, I, I don't have anything for that. I, 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 and I'm not sure they're doing the best thing either, but I don't have anything. So I guess you do what they want you to do. And like I said, I've been through PT myself. I usually quit about as soon as I can. If they've got some really specific things, the, the PT on my hand was a joke. I did far better by going out in my garden and weeding. It was way better for my hand than anything they had me doing. So I'm just not a big fan of these things. Who's paying for all of this PT? Well, I've only got, I've only got six more sessions left, so six, six weeks left of PT, and then I'll pretty well be maxed out on what they can do for me. No, they'll be maxed out on, no, what they're really maxed out on is who's ever paying for this doesn't want to pay for it anymore. That's all that's being maxed out. Okay. Because three years is way too long for a specific physical therapy. Come on. If it didn't heal in six months, that's long. Most of this stuff we should be be able to heal in about a month or two. There's not anything all that complicated going on in there. All we're doing in PT is strengthening specific muscles. Yeah, because at this point, like, I've, I've been able to, like, I, I agree with you. It's just, like, my, like, they're doing is strengthening the hip muscles, the back muscles, and uh, the shoulder muscles. Because I, like, I, well, I, get, I, I get that. That's so all that's PT the, is. PT is either making a muscle more flexible or making it stronger or both. Those things are fairly simple. And to, to think yeah. that it took three years is just insane. Yeah. We know That's how to build kind of muscle. Where I'm with that one, yeah, we we know how to build yeah. muscle and and PT. I get it. They they should understand the specific movements to strengthen a specific muscle. I went to one PT for my hand and said, "This is a joke, really." Yeah. Okay. Well, the last I guess the last question I have for you. I I heard the announcement of Peterbilt's new five seven nine. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you've seen the structure or not, but what's the difference between like the three seven nine and the five seven nine because they look almost identical to me. Well, what's your question? Have I seen the truck? Yes, I've seen it. Okay. Do you? Do you? I guess the question is: Do you know the difference between the two? Why would I care? I, I, I there's about I there, there's three really good the, reasons I would never want this truck. So why would I spend any time trying to understand it? It's non-aerodynamic. That's a giant red X for me. No way am I putting a non-aerodynamic truck on the road and giving up $10,000 a year in profit. Why would I do that? On top of that, I I just had a whole conversation of Paccar doesn't have an engine or a drivetrain I would ever think about buying. I can't think of a truck that I I would buy less than this one. I've been a I've been a Freightliner guy pretty well all my career, and I I love their Cascade. Like I personally, I love the Cascadia with the DD package in it. Perfect, me too. And but that's just. Me. But, but why are you interested? And in I this would say, like my last one, I'm not like it was just I don't understand why they even bothered to make a 500 series that looked identical to the 300 series. Oh, who knows? I mean, it's just numbers. Just models, that kind of stuff changes all the time. And many, many times, those numbers actually mean something. To us, it probably doesn't matter much. But a lot of times, there are reasons for their numbering and their naming nomenclatures. But who cares? Because this is just not a truck I would ever be interested in. Yeah. 
Because my last run that I was doing, I was I was averaging nine point two five miles a gallon doing the run that I was doing, which is almost and impossible out of a five seventy nine. I, I would say in today's world, it is virtually impossible. Right. I wouldn't want to give up. Probably my estimation is three miles a gallon minimum to go over to the five hundred series. It's one. It's a it's a solid one mile per gallon if everything else is equal. Um, same drive line, same driver, same freight, same conditions. The aerodynamics account for one mile per gallon, which is big. That's $10,000 in today's world. Let's go to Maryland. Steve, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, we were talking about not knowing about uh, Volvo shops. Uh, we actually have two excellent engine Volvo shops that are independent that are pretty pretty well uh, in pretty good area uh we have uh, paramount truck service in high point uh clint bankston he was a master uh volvo engine builder but out on his own he's got a bunch of master uh mechanics with him there now uh and and uh, you got tons of people in your tribe that are that use uh, him and, a lot yep. uh, that are, and yes and from north carolina and then you got uh patrick Philman is at kenosha diesel brothers uh uh, truck service in Kenosha, same thing. He was a master yep. Volvo guy. He's uh, and he is you know for so, Upper Midwest, he is fantastic. Uh, there's, there's another good uh, independent Volvo mechanical shop, not as much engine shop in Circleville, Ohio. There on 23, uh, there's a trucking company on the west side of the highway. You probably remember it; it's been there forever. Uh, that, but they they do uh, they do a lot of they do uh, mechanical work for all kind of Volvos for anybody that comes in there. So that's another Excellent. good Volvo shot right there. Oh, yeah. Excellent. But, you know, think about it, though. That That's three parts of the country kind of scattered out, you know. So are, are you close enough to be able to use one yeah. of those as yeah. your primary shop? And you don't have to live right there. I mean, I, I could see setting up an operation yeah. where my freight yeah. took me to those places a lot. But look at Volvo's been selling engines in this country for 20 plus years. We're just now getting to the point where we have master technicians going out on their own. And I love that. But Packard's nowhere near that. There are no master technicians for Packard. Oh, no. And if they are, they're they're so inexperienced yeah. that it'd be a shame to call them a master technician, really. Yeah, I'm expecting a Packard to put a hit out on you at any point. <laughs> they might. They might. Yeah. Uh, no, but they might. But no, but but uh, but yeah, it, you know, it would fall, of course. And in, in, in my good luck is, uh, you know, I'm between the coast of North South Carolina and Wisconsin, so I get to go buy all three of them. I've used them. I use them all. They're all they're all excellent shops. Uh, you know, like I say, here here's my thing is, is I like to have them spread in my area. If I'm going to get any suspension work done, Jim Fowler is going to do it up at Michigan MD Alignment because he's in my area. I'd love to be to Ch- Chad all the time, but Chad's not in my area. And and Jim is doing all of the suspension work that goes along with the alignment work up there. And you know Jim. And uh, so he's got, he's got a fantastic shop up there in Allen, Michigan, there by Coldwater. Yep. That's a fantastic job. So I'm going to get my DD-15, uh, get anything done here on the engine. I'm going on up. I'm getting a load to Pittsburgh. Uh, Saxonburg, and you know, so that's the thing. People, I tell people, you've got to find these shops. Then you got to build a relationship with them, and you know, you know, let them, you know, and then let them know that you're singing their praises when they do good work. And that's another thing, and because uh, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot of people don't know that. You know, I mean, just uh, let it show them that, show them that love, 
have you a good right. shop at home. Uh, I've got a good a good shop at home that was independent. Freightliner bought them. Same mechanics, but now we have Freightliner pricing along with great mechanics. That <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a little high. It's a you know, so, c- clearly. Uh, Clearly, based on what I do, I had an advantage in this area, but that that was part of what I do. Um, I was able to promote shops that I built good relationships with, trusted. I was able to promote them heavily because of what I do and help other people understand about them. And and guess what? I mean, of course, that shop's going to treat me differently. They should. I bring them a lot of business. That's how relationships work. Yeah. The more value I bring to them, the more value they should try to bring to me. So I can tell you that at one of my shops with, you know, a couple hundred FedEx trucks all trying to get in on Sunday and Monday because that's the only days the trucks don't run most of the time. Um, I had an advantage in that area. That That's relationship building. That's how Correct. business yeah. works. So, you know, when, when I, I see some of these yeah, drivers who have built big followings on social media, and maybe it's because they sing or tell jokes or whatever, who cares? You got a following, use it. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that's, I mean, and that's the key out here. It's not just with customers. I mean, the relationships in every aspect of the business. Now. Yes. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, and, and, you know, getting back, you know, contract rate, uh, contract break. I've, I've got a, contract customer that they haven't gone down yet um but machines go down i've never been late in seven and a half years um and you know i expect it may happen uh if they have a you know you know the biggest change with it get a new new traffic manager comes in you know what they're going to do they're going to try to make show how good they are at reducing the expenses that first year that could happen then uh but all things being equal you know the relationship i have with the shipper receiver and, you know, the fact that it's never late, it was late all the time before because the drop yards would be carriers. Uh, so that, you know, you, you feel that and you got that situation. I have contract freight right now that is following, like you say, is following the rates down somewhat. Um, right. And, and with Landstar, we have a lot of customers that we are the, we're the safety valve. You know, uh, when, when, the, when the tender rejection rate was up at 25 to 28%, there were about 200 loads of Harbor Freight every week for Landstar. Well, right now, the tender rejection rate's 1.8%. Yeah. Nobody's kicking their loads back. <laughs> right. So our load count has dropped quite a bit there. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my that's one of my bread and butters for getting out. But I've made four other relationships that I've got five different things get me to the Midwest. There you now, go. They're not paying Harbor Freight money. So but what? they're paying decent money. Right. Uh, they're not... Yeah, and you have it. options. It gets, me, it gets me there to where the big money is. And, and you have options. And I have options. Yep. And uh, so, right, right. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do seven thousand a week like I did last year. Five thousand, fifty five hundred. But most guys are are, are out there twenty five hundred to three thousand a week. That's all they're doing. A lot yeah. of people, and, uh, and that's sad. But but you know that that uh, topic that's all of... they didn't do the hard work. Exactly. That topic of having options really for me is the same topic as being prepared. That's what being prepared means to me in any area. Being prepared means exactly. I have more options. Yep. If if the power to my house goes out, I've got a whole house generator that runs on propane. That's an option. If for some reason that would fail or I ran out of propane, yep. I have a full generator on the coach, runs off diesel, and there's always 150 gallons of diesel in the tank when it's parked here. I have another generator in the in the um, Sprinter, and it's got solar and propane. And then I have an electric 
generator that can run an awful lot of stuff, freezers and, and you know, there's options. That, that's what I mean about being prepared. Same thing in business. If one freight dries up, I have other options that I, I've kind of maintained relationships with or I, you just keep my hands in that pie so I know what's going on. For me, being prepared means having lots of options for when things go wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, like I say, we, we, we've got, we got those options out here now. Uh, you know, uh, I know, you know, every time I see one, I know it's sent it to you. You probably already sent them, seen them. All of these died suddenly, just like, you know, I'll send you one and another and another. It is getting crazy out there. And everybody say, you know, every one of them say, uh, a, 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 a reason, a cause of death was not given. Exactly. And, and you know, but they never come back and say later, uh, well, he did die of, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, there are tons of strokes. There are tons of right. You know, you know, and so that that tells you right there that they're not. They don't want that information out there because they know what it would look like. Yeah. So it, it's kind so, of scary yeah, to think that this is yeah. going on and it's been going on for three years and yet nobody seems to know about it yet. And then oh, there are groups they, out there. Oh, they, it's, it, it's, know, it's think, not happening. Those are just normal statistics. No, they're not. I'm sorry, they're just not. You don't even have to look at statistics. Look at how many politicians, celebrities, sports figures, how many of them this is happening to. And think back through your life. It's never been like this. We hear about them because they're famous. Yeah. We don't hear about your next door neighbor when this happens to them. Right. Right. Well, the problem with everybody says it's conspiracy theory. The problem with the conspiracy theories, they've all come true. Exactly. We've got a bit more of them (laughs) because they they are all coming true. Well, now one of the big topics in the news seems to be uh, uh, UFOs and space aliens. I I think we're running out of conspiracy theories because they're all true. We have to get more and more crazy now. Yeah, I think they will, and they want to make they want to make things sound real crazy, so that they won't believe anything out there that they, they label a conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, per, yeah, perceptions, everything. Well, well, look, we appreciate everything you guys do for us. Just you know, keep up the good work. We'll do. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Connecticut this time. Matthew, welcome. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What's on your mind this week? Hey, uh, yeah, so I live in Connecticut. I think we're going to be leaving end of August down to Georgia to be moving. So we want to buy a multifamily, but the market ain't right. So second, that might be we buy a fifth wheel camper, tow it with my semi truck, and then possibly hang out there. And then we were thinking of buying land and then renting it out to other people and also building on a house. How does that sound? And if so, what kind of RV would you recommend? We were looking at them. Oh, hey, hold on a second. You, you've been breaking up the whole time. I got like every other word. Start over. See if I, let's try that again. Uh, yeah, so I live in Connecticut. We're leaving end of August, moving to Georgia. Me and my wife want to buy multifamilies for a second income, but the market ain't right. So second, that might be that we buy an RV fifth wheel camper and then maybe eventually buy a bunch of land and then rent it to other RVs and then possibly build a house off that. Got it. Okay. And if, 
I was wondering your intake on that, and if we should get a new or used. I would get Kimber, used. How would you feel I, I would, on that? I, I would get used. It's it's one of those. I it, oh. and it doesn't have to be real used. It's one of those things. There are always. I, I know so many people have done this. They want to. They get close to retirement. They want to go do the RV thing. They look at coaches. They're too expensive. They're complicated. Instead, they decide to go buy a pickup truck and right. a fifth wheel. I have story after story of people who get freaked out because they get into RV parks and they don't know how to back up, and the RV's breaking down constantly. Three months later, they want to sell this thing. I, I've seen it happen so many right. times. Those are the bargains. Those are the truck, the the campers you want to look for. Less than a year old. Okay. Any specific year? Okay. Usually, the best. We're looking at a 2017. Less than a year a, old. Okay. But gotcha. not always. We're looking think, at a 17. They wanted forty six thousand, and then the new 23. Well, it was uh, Jayco. It was a 21, and the guys were trying to hit me with eighty four thousand, and it was used. I felt like that was kind of high, but also I'm not too sure in the RV market how so here's, everything's all janky. So. so we could sit here and we could talk about different makes and different models. And should we go high end because they last longer? Or should we go low end because this may be t- temporary? Jayco, I will tell you, is low end. Mm. Thor, okay. Thor seems to be buying up everybody now. And Thor, unfortunately, in my opinion, is one of the worst this is the whole camping world phenomenon, and they bought everything in the RV industry, and, and a lot of their stuff is just junk. I have a, a utility right. trailer that I bought, and it was last minute. I really didn't have—I I didn't plan well, so I had to buy this thing last minute for an event. Total junk. I mean, I'm just shocked at how okay. poor quality these things are. A lot of fifth wheels are that way sometimes just because they have to build these things so light. Everybody wanted bigger and Even bigger. Even the ones that are uh, uh, aluminum or fiberglass. It, it doesn't Would really... Would that be a big difference or it, anything? It, it, aluminum tends to be even lower end. Really... But it, it's all the other okay. stuff. The interior, the com- every component right. on it has Still been cheap. lightened up because people want to pull 43-foot toy haulers with a bunch of crap in them with a pickup truck. And you know what? They might have plenty of torque and transmission. The brakes aren't up to par. So they lighten these things up so much that that the quality is just awful on them. Uh, Even the the better brands still aren't. I mean, Dutchman at at one point when they were completely independent was a a slightly better build, maybe mid-level. We tore ours up. My God, I was constantly working on that thing. Axles, brakes, tires, wheel bearings. Um, they're just too light. Okay. So now, here's the good news. Yeah, we don't really plan part, to uh, travel You're too parking much. it. That, that helps a lot because you're mostly just going to park it and live in it. Right. So I, I would say if, if you can get a deal on a 2017, fantastic. I just would not buy brand new. Okay. Do you think 46 for a 2017, I think it was the Keystone, Montana, kind of high? It sounds high to me, but I don't know because I haven't been in that market for several years. So I'd have to go study that market. Off the top of my head, that sounded high. Okay. Gotcha. Now, here's here's the other thing. How much much time do you have on this? As in, what do you you mean? When do you need to buy this RV? 
Oh, my lease is up end of August 31st, so we kind of plan on a month ahead and kind of like slowly make our way and move so pretty crap quickly. down and pick a spot. Pr- pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. So you're not going to have a time to do a ton of research, but you can do a lot of reading. You can compare a lot of prices. We don't really have time to wait for them to drop anymore. I, I think... I think we are right. nowhere near the bottom on RVs. RVs always take a big You don't big think hit. it would drop in the next two months it, it, due it, to the 24s th- coming out? I think it will, but it won't be the bottom. But it'll be okay. better. That's why I was wondering how much time can right. we push this out a little farther might make a big difference. Okay. Yeah, because we go down south, we really don't want to buy apartment, and we want to buy, like, a multifamily, but the, the market's not right, and then i got to figure out where to park my semi-truck. And I, I, just, I love I the know. idea. Getting property, throwing an RV or something up on there. You know what you might also want to do, what? Because you're going to be out shopping anyway. There are so many more right. of these on the market. Now, make sure when you're shopping for RVs, shop for tiny homes. Okay. All There's right. a ton of now, these on the Now, if we were to, like, now. rent... Are you talking about, like, the 40-foot containers or, like, the other tiny homes? Any of them. There's several ways people are— Yeah, containers are actually fairly expensive. I'm looking at building a container home on some property I've got now, and I'm shocked at how expensive it is to build in a container home. Um, I like it. I like it a lot, but it's— There are less expensive ways of building tiny homes than containers. Uh, but I, all I'm saying right. is that that's a new market that didn't even really exist much five years ago. And now I find used tiny homes all over the place. Right. And, the, uh, the thing that's we nice were, about uh, a tiny out, home, buy some land. Let, let me give you the, because yeah. you're talking about multi and rentals and I love that idea too. That's what I'm doing. Um, you put a, a Jayco RV on a lot and you're going to get 80 bucks a night for it on Airbnb put a tiny home, a custom oh, wow. tiny home on that same lot, you're going to get 300 a night. Okay. Yeah, we we're talking about, like, having other campers come in, we rent that out, and then possibly, maybe eventually, we build a house a couple acres away from that, and then my there's, wife will take care of all that while I'm out there's on the a, road. If that's There's a service out there now, two of them at least, and I can't remember the name of them. I've got them bookmarked somewhere, but they're basically like Airbnb for RV spots. So you don't have to have okay. a full-blown <laughs> RV park. You can just have one. Like, I have a hookup in my driveway. I have full hookups for our coaches. If I wanted to, I could right. join this club, this service, and I could just have people staying in my driveway at night. Right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and on my, well, right? on my property over in Washington, if I had time, I, I have electric and, right. and water. I just don't have all the hookups done, but I, I would could probably make, quite a bit of money. It's a beautiful lot in the woods with views of the river and the gorge. And uh, we're eventually going to build on it someday. But in the meantime, I'm probably going to use it. I may put up some yurts. I may put up a tiny home. We may put up RV spots, just a couple, whatever we could fit and, and rent them out. Just draw a little revenue off of them. You think that would be best bet uh, to do maybe get the RV, buy some land, rent it out to other campers, and then we build a house or should we get the RV uh, rent it out while we go to someplace for so-and-so months, and then we buy a multi. Do you think we should do the land, or you think the, the multi-house, but the marketing's absolute trash? That, that's so more of, of a preference than anything else. What would you rather be doing, really? Okay. Right, right. Because eventually we like to get two going, but i start somewhere, I guess. Yeah. And then also yeah. the... The 30.5 for, I think it was for the AC, is that 
enough to handle the heat down south, you think? I never really experienced too much RV besides just checking them in. They weren't all hooked up. So that was my next question. If the so, AC is cranking enough to handle high so temps thir- 13 throughout the day. BTUs. I think it was 13.5 in Two. the bedroom. Then it was 15, I think, okay. in the uh, – the bedroom is usually much easier the, uh, to cool because you can usually close it up really tight and, and it's pretty easy to cool. Here, right. It's enough. Here's what you're going to want to do, though. You're going to want awnings and shade. That's the real trick here. Okay. You know, awnings on the, if you have slide outs, right. awnings on the slide outs, um, awnings over the slide outs. It maybe even put up a a shelter of some sort. If you can keep the sun off of it directly, those air conditioners will work just fine. If the sun is beating through okay. the windows and, and the whole surface of the RV all day, it's probably going to struggle in the middle of the day. Okay. And also, I have uh, before my semi-truck, but it's a sliding fifth wheel. You think that would be an issue or it would be better off doing the... Uh the hitch like i got a custom hitch on the back of the semi and then get the converter seven plug i think it was well, wait, well, wait, wait, that wait sometimes wait, they work wait. sometimes they don't if you're getting a fifth wheel how are you going to use a hitch well uh well i got the semi truck so i was gonna uh hook it up to the fifth wheel but uh, i also hear with like the bumps and stuff taking it down the road it kind of chews up the rv so my next guess if it if the fifth wheel would be okay or should i get like a custom hitch on the my work truck semi truck you don't mean a hitch though you mean a custom fifth wheel yeah you don't think the the fifth wheel as is would uh fit in the uh the pin i i don't or is that too small i i never attempted to to connect a fifth wheel rv to a standard size truck fifth wheel i don't know if they connect or not i never even looked because that okay. will beat that trailer to death. Now, if you're only moving at one right. time, I, I guess it might be okay. So when I did right. this, I had an air ride RV fifth wheel installed on the tractor. The other option is to put- That's the one a, with the shock too? It had a shock and a big airbag, right. Oh, okay. Now, the one that I bought, and I don't even know if they're still around. I'd have to go do the homework. They, I, they had to replace it twice. The whole thing would really? bend. And they swore it was, you know, super heavy duty. They looked at the weights I was pulling and they said, not a problem at all. Um, after they sent me two new ones because I bent the hell out of the first two, as soon as I saw the third one, I thought you didn't fix the problem. So we actually welded, right. we welded gussets in and it stopped it. That's all it took. We had to weld a couple gussets in and it, but as soon as I looked at it, I thought that looks like a weak spot. And sure enough, it was, it started bending on the first day we used it. And they sent wow. me another one, said they improved it. The next one started bending in the first week. They sent me the third one. And this is a pain in the ass. These things are heavy. They're expensive to ship. They're, it's a lot of work to keep replacing them. And I looked at the third one and I said, it's going to bend. And we just, we welded some gussets in it and it was fine. They also make some really nice okay. um, uh, air ride pinto or not, uh, air ride, uh, God, what am I talking about? Kingpin. No, not king pins. Um, oh, what's the word I want? It's not the fifth wheel. It's the pin itself on the on the trailer can be air ride. Huh. I just really? I'm for I, there's a name for that piece that you connect to the the pin, and I'm just drawing a total blank on it. But that that can be air ride. 
Okay. So the then the, the shock um, and the airbag is on the fifth wheel trailer itself, not on the truck. Right. To take off the fifth wheel because this is also the daily for the bread but and I, butter. So, but I have never, I have zero stuff. experience trying to hook an RV fifth wheel to a full size fifth wheel plate on a tractor. I never even attempted it. Didn't even read about okay. it. Yeah, it wasn't an option for me. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess I'll maybe hook up and go from there. I don't plan to do 65. I'll probably do like 50, 55. And it's only from Connecticut to Georgia. I think it's like 500 something miles. So I have. Want to say it'll be all right, but I don't know if I should take that and risk or not. I don't know. You know, you you could, if you can hook up to it and see there's not going to be any issues, I I would drive it an hour or two around locally and then start inspecting things. If if anything's going wrong or there's any real stress, you're going to see it. Okay. All right. I guess I'll uh, do some more digging. The, nope, and and then, the, then the other thing I would do on that trip, I would probably drop my drive tires down to about 70 or 80 pounds of pressure. Yeah. Okay. Make them really soft. All right. Right. That'll work then. All right. If you have any and, other uh, questions, give me a holler. Let's go to New Hampshire. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, I picked up uh, one of those, one of your... Uh, the detox kits there for the, uh, the tooth powder and stuff. Yeah. And um, I got to say, it was a little bit weird at first using the powder after using commercial toothpaste for, right. you know, 53 years. Right. <laughs> but after a couple of days, I really, I, I really started liking it. And I've been using it for about two weeks now. My, I tell you, my mouth and my teeth have never felt like cleaner. Is- isn't and it healthier than they do now? Isn't it crazy? And start watching the color of your gums will get more and more pink. You'll actually be able to see the gums starting to pull back a little on the tooth. So we don't have those big inflamed pockets around our teeth. I, I got to say, um, Lisa, most of the products we do in the store, usually I'm the one out looking for products, that kind of thing. Lisa, this, she did this on her own. I didn't even know she had mentioned it here and there. And when I first looked at it, she brought it to me and said, here's what I've found. What do you think? And I looked at it and I thought, it looks really good. But man, I am just not sure if this is going to be something we want in the store or not. I I wasn't, I I will tell you, it might be one of the best products we've ever brought in. Uh, The feedback on this from across the board has just been excellent. And my, my feedback as well, I love this stuff. Yeah, and if and if how it actually makes your mouth feel means anything, I mean it, it just makes it feel incredible. And I do have gum disease, so I got I have the pockets in between the, you know, the gums and my teeth. And I use a water pick that I bring with me in the truck, a little battery powered water pick. It's got a little water tank on it. Yeah. And I've been putting like two or three drops of that the uh, gum drops in Good. the water and mix it around. Good. And yeah. I spray that down, you know, in between the teeth and gums. Excellent. And it just, it feels awesome. Do you, do you think every time I go to my, my dentist every three months to get my teeth clean because I have that, these pockets. That'll, that'll stop. And they keep refer. Okay. Cause they keep referring me to the periodontist. Correct. That, so and I went what, there once. Here's what I'm predicting. And for a small fee of, for a small fee of $7,000, He'll surgically remove some of my gums Let, let's, so I won't let's, have those pockets. <laughs> let, let's think about that, though. So first off, $7,000 is an awful lot of money. I'm sure this is not a comfortable procedure to sit through. 
And have we addressed the root cause of the problem? No, they're just no. removing parts. Yeah, they're going to come back. Those pockets will come back. I promise you. You're going to end up with inflammation again. Oh, yeah, again, I never thought about that. They will come back over time. Now, here's what, here's what else. Here's what I want you to do. When you go to the, your next appointment, don't say a word about this. Don't talk to your dentist. To, oh, look, right. at what, don't say anything until they give you your results. Because here's what I promise you. You use this twice a day. Just follow the instructions. By the time you get there, I bet your pockets are going to be cut in half. And the dentist is going to go, look, our treatment's working. And you can go, well, let me tell you what I've been doing. And then watch what they say. Right, yeah. I've stopped, I've stopped using toothpaste and exactly. I stopped using the right. mouthwash exactly. and all that. <laughs> right. And here's what I'm using. And you yeah. just told me my gums are healthier than they've been in years. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I go back in September, so I, I look forward to that. Perfect. Um, when I go there, they always give you that rinse, like they want you to rinse first. Should I just tell them I don't want to do that? Like, yes. I'll, I'll brush my teeth and I'll use the gumdrops before I go. I just tell them I don't want to use their rinse and stuff. Yep, because their rinse kills bacteria. They're, they're, all of their treatment. Now, right. here, here's the other thing you may want to consider. You may want to consider switching to a biological dentist. So you don't have to fight them all, on yeah. all this stuff. Because I, I promise you, they're going to fight you on it. They almost <laughs> always do. Oh, no, this rinse yeah. is it's crucial. No, it's not crucial. And all that crap you've been doing to me all these years is why I have these pockets and why you now want to operate on me. Right. And when I leave, when they're all done with everything, they take like a syringe and they put even like stronger. It tastes like alcohol. Yeah. And they, sh they like stick it in between. They stick it in between, you know, they stick it down in those little pockets and they rinse out those little pockets with this stuff that tastes horrible. Because here's what they believe or what they've been taught and trained on and believe is that it is bacteria that causes all the problems and they are correct. Bacteria causes gum disease and bacteria causes cavities and bacteria causes bad breath. It, it is bacteria. They believe you have to constantly wipe out the bacteria so you don't have these problems. But that's what leads to worse problems. Now we keep wiping out the bacteria right. with all these products and then more bad bacteria grows back. So now we have to do the treatments more often and, and you see the results. But now you see the other results when what we focus on is, is giving the good bacteria an environment to live in and gently trying to kill the bad bacteria, not using the nuclear option. Yeah, well, I look forward to going back in September just to see. And I will. I'm not going to say anything at first. Good. I'm going to wait till they, yep. <laughs> till they uh, give, give me I, the exam first. I can't wait till you so, call um, me after that. I've called before. Yeah, I definitely. I'll, I'll definitely call you after that. I've called before and told you all the great results I've had from the, from the keto and mostly carnivore yeah. and all that. I'm, I'm the guy who I posted a couple pictures jumping in the river in the middle of oh, yeah. January up here yeah, in New Hampshire. Love that. Yeah. Love that. So I just, I've lost like 70 pounds. I, I just got a, um, another sleep study done last month and I'm off the CPAP machine now. Fantastic. Um, Congratulations. So, yeah. That's and a big deal. No longer on any, yeah, no longer on any medications. I used to be on anti-anxiety and uh, high blood pressure medication, all that. So in September, I go back for my physical. I've been on a one-year card for like 10 years, so I'm hoping to get my 
two-year card now that I'm finally off the CPAP machine. I, I, I think you will. Jim, you're like a new human being. Isn't it awesome? Oh, I am. I know. I, feel, I love that. I'm 50, 53 years old, and I feel better than I have in years. I know. I know. I love it. All right, I'll call you back after my next dentist appointment, Kevin. All right, looking forward to it. You don't have to wait that long. Let's go to uh, Colorado. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I was just going to um, answer some questions with that fifth wheel haul on RV. Uh, I deliver RVs for a living. I have a flatbed that I do like three small ones. But occasionally when I like, try my trailers in, I'll do uh, I'll move the full-size fifth wheels with my semi. And the answer is that the uh, kingpin on the fifth wheel is exactly the same as a kingpin on any semi-trailer. So it hooks right up to the uh, truck. That, the, it, only, the only thing that you – go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, it, it, the, I kind of thought that it did. I never tried it. I never bothered to look because I didn't want to do it. What, what kind of issues do you have, if any? Um, the issue that you have is you got to go from your seven round pin oh, to right, a seven right. bl- uh, bl- blade. Right. And the problem that you have with the seven blade versus the seven round is your brake line and your turn signal is separate. Where on the um, seven blade, the brake and turn signal are linked. So the other thing you have to do is you have to put in a ele- electric brake controller in order to put the brakes on the trailer to work. And, and the problem that you have there is if you don't put in a diode on each one of the turn signals, it will bleed over to your brake lead. So then every time you, you, you turn left or right, it will apply the brakes. So you got to do a one-way diode on, your, uh, on each one of your turn signals so that it will only go the one way. So it won't go back and feed back into the brake line, um, which you can buy the one-way diodes like at etrailer.com. They sell them. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I had some, uh, you know, some custom brake controllers on mine, and uh, I don't remember those wiring issues, but I must have went through all that, too, when we made the conversion. I remember it took us a while to get it all wired right, but I don't remember the details. Yeah, it's it's easy once you know, just just know that you're going to have that feedback, and then you do the electric brake controller. So you must not be seeing damage to these trailers as you're delivering them. I mean, it must do okay. No. They do fine. I just, you, I just, I'm just a little extra paranoid when I'm delivering because they're all out there and they're, they're like paper mache. Yeah, and, hits them, and I, I will say, if you try to pull one of these things around on a standard truck, fifth wheel setup, semi truck, you will beat it to death. You know, maybe one trip delivering them is yeah. not that big of a deal, uh, but you will, you will pound those things hard if you don't do. A ping tank we've talked about as an option. You add a second air tank and plumb it into the uh, airbags, and that gives you more volume in the airbags so they can be softer. That's one way. Or the custom air ride fifth wheel, which for this guy isn't really going to work because he still uses the truck to work. Or he could get the custom air ride hook on the, uh, the trailer itself. Those would be the three options. But yeah, if all he's doing is moving it down there one time and parking it, it sounds like he can just get his wiring right, hook it up to his regular fifth wheel, and just go. Yeah, yeah, he should be able to. shouldn't be any problem there. And um, he can use any brake controller. You just got to find the uh, uh, whatever fuse is for the uh, um, yeah, I, lights I, for the brake. I, I'll tell you what I had that I really that liked. I had 
it, I, I didn't have all the goofy stuff up in the cab that you get a lot of times with the electric brake controllers. What I used was an air over electric. So everything was mounted back by the fifth wheel. There was nothing up in the cab, really. Uh, like a lot of the brake controllers, you got all the lights and the controls up there in the cab. I had nothing in the cab. Mine was air over electric. And the way it worked was the more air pressure it felt through the brake line, the more it applied the electric brakes. And once I got it tweaked, it had adjustments. Once I got it tweaked, I really liked that setup. Oh, that setup's great, but it's uh, like 10 times as much as just a cheap electric brake controller. It is. You're moving it, it just is, one time. That's right. all you're doing. Right. But I, just, yeah, I was full yeah, time I mean, and we put all a of lot of the money in the deep ours. pockets you have. Well, it, it, uh, for me, it was necessary. I mean, I wasn't, there was no way. Because yeah, first off, I was heavy, really heavy. And I had singled out my tractor. So you got good, strong brakes on the tractor, but it's a single axle. My biggest problem was certainly not going up hills. It was coming down hills. I would get those damn trailer brakes hot. So having that air over electric really helped quite a bit for me. But again, I put a lot of miles on mine and we were driving around heavy all the time. Yeah. And um, as far as like brands and makes and quality um, out there right now, like Keystone and, um, your Force Rivers, they're all owned by uh, Warren, Warren Buffett's uh, hedge fund. Yeah, Thor, basically. Yeah, and yeah. Um, they're and they they've made a lot because they made a because I I deliver these things and they've made a lot of cuts to their quality control. Hey, well, that's bad um, because ten years well, ago their quality sucked. So if they've made cuts, I can't even imagine yeah. how bad it's getting now. Yeah, they're they're pretty bad. I mean, usually you take them to the dealership and uh, they have a they check them in and there's like you know like a hundred things on there that they have to fix. Yep. Um, I'm not surprised at all. Not surprised at all. Now the one, the one fact, the one I know for a fact is uh, there's grand design, but they, they have an entire department dedicated to uh, before they even go out, they have a complete quality control. And uh, now I understand they make a really solid trailer. Now you're talking about a different tier of quality. So grand design, mobile suites, um, Tiffin's trailer division was much, much higher end, but they've already sold that to Thor now. So that one will go downhill. But yeah, if you get up into that next tier, um, you can get better quality. Uh, Dutchman was, was up in that. But but you got to be careful. It. These things are getting I know, bought mostly by Thor. And yeah, I, mean, was, I lived in my fifth wheel for about four years before I started driving truck when I sold my business in California. And before, and I'm telling you what, if, living in it, even though it's just parked, uh, putting it puts a whole lot more um, use to it, and, it, and the quality it's, makes a big difference. So when the, especially when you're living in it. So the difference is if you're going to be pulling one around a lot, a fifth wheel, putting a lot of miles on it, you absolutely should go to to the top tier. You will work on these things constantly. If you park it and live in it, now you don't have to worry about the mechanical stuff, axles, brakes, that kind of stuff. But but boy, you got to worry about air conditioning and electrical and plumbing. And and you're right. They're they're not, the fifth wheels are not made for full time, either driving or living. They're made for people kind of that like, go like what camping he, a couple times a year or maybe park it at the lake for the summer. And the insulation is 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 not very good on the um, the lower end one. So, like, the AC will be running all the time. In the wintertime, it's going to be hard to heat. Yep. Uh, and the main thing is you wanna, he's going to want to do, if he's parking it, he's going to want to put a skirt 
all the way around the bottom to keep the air from going up underneath it. That makes a big difference on keeping it cool and heating it. Yep, you're right. Yeah, there are lots and lots of tricks. Awnings keep the sun off of the the you know body of the trailer itself because that'll heat up fast. Skirts, all of that stuff really makes a difference. Uh, so they're not designed for that, but there's some hacks that you can do to make this work out pretty well. Let's go to Wisconsin. Randy, welcome. Yeah, hi, Kevin. Uh, just to add to the fifth wheel, because I did it, uh, with my fifth wheel plate slid all the way back, I had about six inches clearance between the frame and the camper, so not an option. But I convert, I did the goose box, they call it, on the front of the fifth wheel, converts it to a goose ball, and uh, basically just welded a four by four square tube across the inside of the frame with the you know receiver kind of goose ball in that to to pull the camper with, and it, and it was air ride worked real, worked real well. Okay, yeah, I've seen some pretty and interesting then, uh, setups out there. So, yeah, I had it on uh, Trucky Tribe, but uh, Curtis, they make a little converter for the wiring, too, you know, from a from a brake link to, uh, you know, separate it like it is on a tractor to combine like it is on a trailer. And I, and I, I pulled the car trailer behind it. So I spent like a week wiring and shit, you know? Oh, I know. It can it get like, pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all... All after that, I'm probably not going to pull it again, but oh well. Yeah. Uh, another thing, <laughs> the primal uh, primal life dental thing, my, my, my mouth feels great using that stuff. Isn't it crazy? I don't know what I it is. I never expect it. You I know, know, I expected it, feels, it to it be... It feels cleaner than ever. I, I expected it to be better than normal stuff, but I did not expect the kind of results I'm getting, and the feedback is across the board. I, we haven't heard a single negative comment it, about any it, of it. It feels it feels really good after... I, and it does. Is that oil, is that like... Oil of oregano, or what kind of oil is that? It's got multiple oils in it. I'm actually, I want to talk to them about whether or not they will put that out in bigger bottles. I would love to use their oil for oil pulling, but there's just not enough oil in those little bottles to do oil pulling every day. So I'm. I, no. I've got a note that I want to reach out to them and see if we can get that oil in bigger bottles because I'd love that stuff. Yeah, it's. I'm really digging it. And then uh, last. Uh, I'm an N14 guy. Love it. Got mine doing eight and a half. To nice. The, to the gallon. Now. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that uh, is that. I I so, uh, wish I would have paid a little more attention to it. I was just so happy with the Series 60s that I just didn't bother. But I think that engine had a lot of potential that we may not have tapped into. The the one thing for me is it's easier to work on it. You know, three it separate simple. cylinder heads, yeah. and rocker boxes, and everything. You know, I, one guy can pull the stuff off. I mean, it, it, uh, it really is one head. I don't know. Yeah, it really is a nice, simple, easy to work on engine. It is, and it's it is reliable. I have, I mean, uh, cam position sensors. I go through those like once every a year. You know, I, I, I then, uh, used to replace the cam sensors on the yeah. Series 60. I've replaced a couple of those. But that that was just a, uh, I, I, I call that engine bulletproof. I mean, it's really one of the uh, one of the most reliable engines I've seen. 
Let's go to California this time. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I had a couple of questions, but I guess I'll throw my RV talk in. Um, I'd say if I, uh, I guess my dream would be, or, or, you know, the thought of traveling maybe later uh, is, well, I had a question. Is your Sprinter, is that built out like an RV? Yeah, it's a uh, Pleasureway conversion. Pleasureway's out of Saskatoon. A really, really nice build. I mean, I we looked at a lot of different builds from Airstream actually builds a Sprinter, and Airstream is super high quality. Um, I like the Pleasureway better than the Airstream even. Yeah, okay. Do you feel like you have enough room and everything's fine? No, uh, no. No, there's not no. enough room for anything. Oh. In the, the, this is tiny, tiny living at its finest. Uh, there's not enough room for anything in the Sprinter. There's not enough room for stuff. There's so not like enough. Good, there, it's tight, tight, tight in there. Yeah. Yeah, like good for like going down the road and moving around a little, your passengers and stuff. Maybe. Well, here's the other thing I'll tell you about and, uh, it. So in in most of them, and the pleasure way is no exception, the bed is usually a kind of like a J-bed seat in the very, very back. So it can be like a bench seat with seat belts and all that would sit three people on yeah. it. Then it folds down flat. That's a really common oh. setup. You can't ride back there. It is the worst ride I have ever seen. It's you're f- about four feet behind oh. the back axle and it's a tandem because we have the 3500 and the ride is awful back there. Yeah. Like we don't ever do it. Nobody ever goes oh. back there and sits for anything much more than maybe a trip to the store. So as far as that being a seat back there, in my mind, it's completely worthless. If I were going to make any change to the pleasure way, I would take that whole seat out and I would build a platform bed much higher up than I could have more storage under it. That whole conversion is just a waste of time. It doesn't work as a seat. Got it. And, and what about, isn't there a seat like or couch, like Jack and couch behind the two it depends captain's on, chairs? Like, it depends, there, depends on the model. The some have four captain's chairs. Some have three captain's chairs and a workstation. We went with two front seats yeah. only because if you try putting okay. anything, any other seating behind those seats, you lose a bathroom or something. Like our bathroom, I can take a shower in it. You, you basically either sit on the toilet and take a shower or straddle it and take a shower, and it's tiny. But if you try putting seats yeah. in, then you lose that right. even. So it, it, everything— Do you have a kitchen? Like a, there, there's a kitchen, a two-burner uh, propane stove, stove two-burner okay. propane stove, a microwave. Yeah. That's a convection microwave, a decent-sized sink. But other than clothes okay. and food, there's virtually no storage inside. So things like tools— jacks, um, cables, cords, outdoor stuff. We have a tote on the back of ours that slides into the hitch, a big tote, because you have to have that or pull a trailer. And I would rather pull a trailer. That's what I was You've got to have something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, we used have the, a van, what, van with like a little trailer. We use the tote a lot because Lisa then, actually used the van. It's almost like her personal vehicle now. She drives it almost everywhere when she goes somewhere. So we, right. we, we put the toad on it. If I were going to do any serious traveling in it, I would have a trailer. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thought would be good. Like as far as maybe fuel mileage, you know, maybe versus uh, 
Oh well, they right. Else. We get we get twenty two miles to the gallon out of that thing. It's incredible the kind of fuel economy you can get out of them. Oh, okay. So it is good for that. It it, it if I if if I said right now, hey, I'm going to go to the my next speaking event, and instead of taking the coach, I'm just going to jump in the Sprinter. It, it cost me one quarter in fuel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that a diesel engine or? A- it's a very small four-cylinder mm-hmm. diesel, three three liter. Okay. I think small turbo. Yeah. But you know, What's your so, so yeah. there is yeah. two in the Sprinter. There's two. Our first one was even smaller engine. Now that thing got even. I, we got two or three more miles to the gallon out of that one. If I babied it, I could get twenty-five out of that one. But put a trailer behind that thing and it is a dog. So don't get the smaller okay. one. The smaller now, engine, in my opinion, was not worth the couple extra miles per gallon you got out of it. How about the Ford, same type of model, you know, the Transit 350 or something? All I will say is Ford and Mercedes, you decide. Oh, okay. It's okay. exactly what you would expect. The Mercedes yeah. is a much, much better quality build just a, across the board. But not everybody needs or wants that much quality. So the Ford would be just fine if, if, yeah. that's, if that's the quality that you want and you're not going to use it as often and it's not a business write-off and you don't have the budget. That The Fords can be fine. As far as space and all that, they're, they're comparable. Towing, engine, fuel mileage, yeah. all of that's comparable. Features, it's really the only difference is quality. Uh, Ford, they don't have the diesel, or do they? They have a diesel. I, gas. Oh, you know what? Probably gas. That's another engine. That's another op. I never even looked at that. And if that's the case, then for me, I would never do this with gas, but that's just me. Oh, oh okay, okay. I'm sure yeah, they're fine. Texas to California, really. is that too much on something like that? Do what? Check this to California trips. Is that like too many miles for those kind of things? Oh, no. Not, you know. No. Once you the year. Oh, okay. You know, again, you know, I, we use it for business. We can write a lot of this off. So for me, um, I really like the Mercedes with the pleasure way conversion. But they're expensive. I mean, really expensive. Yeah. I was just... You know, not that I would buy one, but a lot of people that go wing foiling are using the sprinters because they've got a lot of room and you can, if you head, if I head down to the river and the wind dies, I can go in there and work or take a nap and wait for the wind to come back up again. So I I was thinking about one, but, and I won't use ours because that's Lisa's vehicle Um, and it's not set up for that anyway. Uh, but I see a lot of them set up that way, and they use they do a lot of the shorties with four wheel drive and single wheels, the twenty five hundred instead of the dual. So just out of curiosity, I went look. Yeah. Pleasure Way builds a four wheel drive Sprinter on the short body with single wheels, not the dual wheels. Two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I know. I, I, I almost choked. I'm that like, airstream, you right? be. No, that was the Pleasure Way. Uh, oh, the, the pleasure way four wheel yeah, drive. Airstream's pretty much the same, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, so yeah. now on the sprinters now, oh, yeah, you, the you, can, drive. you can spend over two hundred thousand on sprinters now. That's just uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought about you know bringing snowboards and that, that 
towing a trailer, but like snowboards, surfboards, and, and barbecues, you know, a, a grill in there and having some sort of like toy hauler thing, a short one, but just uh, my thought, uh, my setup would be. But then I also like those Renegades, you know, the bigger ones you know but diesel but I don't you know renegade honestly we looked at renegade we went to the factory we started uh, building one and designing one and planning one and honestly i was not very happy with the renegade interiors as far as quality they're not to the level of a, a good coach they're they're kind of mid-level as far as coaches go but they're damn expensive because of that class eight truck and i wanted one i'd love to have a class eight truck built like that i just i was not happy with their interiors yeah okay um as far as the current events i guess it's going to be flag day so and i guess this is gay pride month is so it, I had a question. Is, hey, so hold I, on. I guess, hold on. Let, I, let, I got caught. Let, yeah. Something about this whole thing. And look, I don't follow this. I don't pay attention. If people want to have parades, go have parades. <laughs> I don't care. But here's something that's a little weird to me. Yeah, me too. From from what I understand, that if you're gay, you're gay, right? That that you didn't choose that, right? That's just it happened. Your hormones are out of whack, or God wanted you to but be. That was I, my question. So. If that's so, and that's what they've been telling us, right? That this isn't a choice for them, that this is just how they are. Yeah, see, that's where I got caught. Right. Well, if this is just how you are, what are you proud of? You didn't do anything. It'd be like me. Yeah, that was my question. It'd be like somebody that's, you know, six foot five trying to being proud because they're six foot five. I'm five foot five, but I didn't do anything to be five foot five, and you didn't do anything to be six foot five. So that's not something to be proud of. It might be something to be grateful for, if you want to be grateful for it, but not proud. You didn't do anything. I I don't get this. If you're gay by nature and you didn't do anything, what's the pride all about? It's just, you're just a human being like the rest of us. Right, right. I'm not. Yeah, that's always go back to that. Right. It just just is. You are what you are. You didn't have a choice. If I work to be really physically fit or I can bench press you know, 310 pounds when I only weigh 150, I could be pretty proud of that. That's an accomplishment. But if you're just gay by nature, what's the pride thing all about? Yeah, I was going to ask, what, if you're gay, what's the difference between uh, being gay and sexual preference? Because I, I got someone, you know, I got kind of a different opinion, but, you know, and they were saying that's, that's that's so you know would say something like that, that uh, one of know. the things i will say I, I live in oregon where i think a lot of people know what what it's like here i know a lot of gay people employees friends I, I, a lot of them really uh, most of them are yeah, very very Double. normal uh, in fact many of them are really hard working those are not the people making yeah. all the noise about all this stuff. They're just not. They they live a normal life like the rest of us. Most people wouldn't even know it. Or if you know it, just because of, you know, who they live with or whatever. But they're not making a big deal about it. It's not in anybody's face. It just is. That's who they are. That's what they do. It's no big deal. It's this very, very yeah. vocal movement that is causing all the issues. And, and let's take that whole pride thing one step further. They've been telling us for decades, if you're gay, you're gay. You can't help it. That's just who you are. And I believe that. 
I don't believe that's 100% of the time. Yeah. I think some people were almost maybe sexual trauma or other things could lead to this. But for the most part, I, I get it. Okay, you were yeah. born this way. All right. I, I've come to accept that. Right. Except when we go to the trans movement. Wait a minute. You, you've been telling us all along we have to accept this gay thing because it's just who you are. You can't help it. Now you're saying, hey, wait a minute. I don't want to be a male anymore. I'm going to go be a female. How do those two things make any sense? You're just supposed to accept what you are is what they told us. Don't try to change me from being gay because I'm gay by nature. Well, you're also a male by nature. Why are you now trying to be a female? Yeah, so if you're gay by nature, is there any difference? So you still have a sexual preference, right? That's what I mean. Still, you're still choosing who you have sex with, right? I mean, it's not like... Well, well, no, what they're saying I'm is not, they're, I'm not they're no Am I? what they're saying is their preference is not a choice. It, did you choose to be attracted oh. to women? No. No, it just well, well, so, I mean, no, so let me ask you this. I, do, okay. do you have any so, desire to be attracted to men instead? No. No, me either. I'm just naturally attracted to women. I didn't do anything, so I'm accepting when they tell me I may be male, but I, I'm just naturally attracted to other males. I can't help that. So I believe that. I believe yeah. that. I, okay, I get it. Except now all of a sudden it's we don't yeah. have to accept even our body. We can change it now. I, I don't get the difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then it, it, it probably turned into that they're right. They, they're really fighting for their I, rights. I don't get that. You know, but... But uh, the marriage thing, that, that, that's no, government. That. But I, I don't understand what rights trans yeah. people don't have. No, no, I meant the, gay, the gays to get worried that uh, they might well, you know, here's I, why, why they might fight so hard. Argue, well, argue. I, un I understand why they might fight for those two. The problem I have is there should be no advantage at the government level anyway. Drop all these stupid programs. The, why, the government shouldn't have any say on who marries who. Yeah, right, right. Yes. Okay, but I get, but yeah, right, what right. they fight for is the fact that the government's regulations and laws and programs, giveaways, exclude them. Maybe that, that they could. My point would be, okay, let's get rid of oh, the government I programs see. then. Because I think you should be able to marry whoever the hell you want, and there shouldn't be programs and advantages from the government anyway. The government should have nothing to do like, with any of well, this. Thanks. What, like what program would you have? Like, you mean when you get divorced or when you get, I mean, oh, what, there's, what there's, program? Uh, um, like, yeah, rights after death can be in some states. That if, if you know, that state uh, doesn't uh, recognize uh, okay. gay marriage, then you may be screwed. And in, in, so I get it. There are laws like that 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 are not good. In, in those situations. My point is it, we shouldn't have all those laws and regulations. That's the problem, not who you're sleeping with or married to. You should be allowed to sleep or marry whoever the hell you want. It's none of the government's business. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, a, a, a dental question is, uh, we love that powder, by the way, so uh, that's all great. And uh, But I, you know, I had done damage in my, in my life and I had a, uh, so right now I have a, I'm all good now, but I still have, you know, leftover damage. So my second to last tooth, you know, I got a molar back there. And then the second to last one, I had 
destroyed it, so I had pulled it a long time ago. And then my, you know, that's only tooth I, and it's on the upper. So if I chew on that side, you know, I'm missing the tooth, right? Right. But I still have, you know, teeth around it. Okay. But so in your opinion, would you just leave it alone and just deal with it and, you know, chew on the other side and kind of, I can kind of still chew, but, uh, you know, the so thought actually, of having like a bridge, you know, and you got to. So it actually depends because. But you have it, a. I, I have a oh, very okay. small mouth and jaw, so I had very crowded teeth. All my wisdom teeth had to come out early to make some space. I, I don't have any root canals. At 60, I don't have any root canals at all. I have a couple of crowns, and I do have one tooth that I lost uh, when I was in the military, and they just took it out. And when I got out, I had a dentist who had been trained I don't know. He actually did something called a Maryland bridge. Nobody else, every other dentist I went to, they're like, where did you get a Maryland bridge? I haven't seen one of these things in decades. But it was just a simple, single tooth. They didn't have to mess with the two teeth around it very much. Um, But it would, every every couple of years it would come out. And I'd have to go back and get it re-cemented. And after a while, I decided not to. And you know what that space did? That space actually alleviated some of the crowding. Yeah. So it would be cemented to the two teeth next to it? It was. Or it was had, it like it, clamped it, in there? It, well, it had little oh. wing, little silver okay. wings that came off and, and they were glued on the inside oh, of the yeah. other two teeth. And it was a really simple bridge without doing a lot of damage to the other teeth. A lot of times when they do a bridge, they take the other right. two teeth and they put crowns on them, even if they don't need it. Yeah, They well... Yes, they, they and they make it into a post, basically. They sit under well, like a post. Well, now... And then with, put the crown on. Now, with implant technology, that, yeah. that should be better. But I want to schedule a call with Trina and ask her about implants, because we haven't talked about that, and I don't know. I didn't realize how bad root canals were for us. I'm glad I don't have any. Root canals yeah, are really we, bad uh, for us. Yeah, root so, canals are... Yeah, I know. I have one. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm wondering um, yeah. the the, but yeah, the these permanent, you know, implants implant. that they seem implant. really yeah. good. But uh, now I'm wondering. Titanium. Yeah, maybe there's some sort of health issue that we really don't want these if we can avoid them. I don't know. I, I need to go do that research. Yeah. So yeah, my question was: You wouldn't. It sounds like why? 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 mess with two good teeth and drill it and make them into a post just to put a crown on and have a tooth in the middle or would you just I, I wouldn't I think it's a bad idea right okay yeah and titanium in your bone might not be good either I have no idea <laughs> I know they tell us that titanium is right. like um what's the there's a word for this um oh. When it oh, doesn't, yeah, non, re- uh, something. Yeah, when it yeah. doesn't react with our, it's a yeah. hy- hypoallergenic. I believe they claim titanium's hypoallergenic. Oh. But here's the thing they've lied to us so many times, I don't believe anything anymore. Yeah. I, I go look for yeah, the yeah. other answer. Kind of rhymes with aluminum. Yeah. I, 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 I go look for some other answer because everything about health they've told us turns out to be wrong. So I just don't believe anything anymore. I, I go look for the alternative. Yeah, like I'm just going to deal with it. It's not causing any hey. issues. Sometimes I worried if I had chunky, I didn't chew my food maybe quite all the way, but nah, I just, it's not. A I big, can fix that. Yeah, that's right. It, yeah, it, it, it 
your teeth will shift and move a little bit because of that space. In my case, there was some crowding. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Then I kept thinking, I'm going to go get an implant put in there and be done with it. Then I didn't have, didn't feel like doing the research on implants. I don't want to make a big decision until I do. But now I have somebody I trust. So now it's just a matter of I'll, you know, go talk to Trina and see what her take on implants are. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. We're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with the Power Hour. Uh, Wednesday's Destination Health. Thursday, I will be joined by um, David Owen from Nastic. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we'll be doing our Twitter spaces. I may do a pop-up space this week. Um, There are some people who are not happy with me. They now claim that I don't really help truck drivers and owner operators. So they, they want to debate me on this whole broker issue. I may do a quick pop up and see how that goes. So, uh, if you've, if you're following me on Twitter and you get notifications, you'll see it. If not may end up on the app. I don't know if we'll do it live. Uh, it may be that I do a space with somebody else monitoring it and I'll think about recording it. I don't know. Uh, but that's the schedule for the week. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.